Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is the Thomas Free Me TV and Podcast Show. This is Thomas Free Me, the elusive apparition. I know, I know. You guys need more shows. I know my viewership has been falling off, but what can I do? I mean, I can only do so much. If you do want to help support, you can visit www.cominghomecoalition.com. I've uh, made a $1 a month membership. $1 a month membership. If I can get enough members, it will greatly help alleviate a lot of pressure off me and allow me to really concentrate on these much-needed discussions, getting them out, and getting more of them. Um, today's discussion is with a Miss Danielle Dunn out of Michigan, whose brother was murdered. There's no other word for it. He was murdered in Michigan State State Prison. And I am bringing on a very valued guest of mine. Very good friend of mine, Tamujin Kinsu. He is in Michigan State Prison and has been for the last 37 years as an innocent man. No disputing his innocence. Nobody's arguing his innocence. Yet he's still in prison. Um, I scheduled an interview with him. To bring him on to to uh, to discuss today's today's topic, and it's it's imperative that our citizens and our communities hear and understand what is going on. We're not here to justify or cry out about criminals or or talk about criminals being, you know, too harsh on criminals and all of this stuff. We're here to tell you about torture and murder because that is what this is i've seen it with my own eyes tamujin kinsu will tell you he's seen it with his own eyes and pretty much anybody that's been in a medium security or higher sometimes lows have seen it and if it hasn't been officers killing it's the corruption and the power that they wield that, that all inmates are able to, to testify to, I would imagine. So I don't want to hold up too much, but I do want to just, again, thank everybody for, for just tuning in for what you do and, uh, and, and taking these, these discussions importantly. We have to make changes. We have to make changes with ourselves. We have to get more involved with our communities. Again, once I can get my 501c, my tax exemption um, cleared, I have big plans. I have big plans. And it's going to take community support. It's going to take community support. It's, gonna, it's going to unify our community leaders and give them a voice so that they can speak up for what's needed in the communities and be taken seriously. And and amongst a whole lot of other other ideas that I have when it comes to criminal justice reform. Um, and that's it. That's it. I want to get into the discussion. It is a lengthy one. Very impactful. Very knowledgeable. There's a lot of education in it. There's a lot of stats, especially concerning Michigan and what's going on up there. And it's impactful. So once again, thank you. I pray that everybody is safe. I pray that everybody is well fed, that you have a little bit of comfort for you to sit down and listen to this important story. So without further ado, 
Introducing Mr. Temujin Kensu and Mrs. Danielle Dunn on the topic of Miss Danielle Dunn's brother. You can visit www.justiceforjohnny, J-O-N-N-I, or was it Y? J-O-N-N-Y. I believe it's J-O-N-N-Y. Justice for Johnny, J-O-N-N-Y. We talk about it. You'll hear it randomly throughout the, the broadcast. The link is in the description for you to just tap on to. Follow the directions, please, and just make a phone call and just say that you want these officers that murdered that man held responsible and tried and convicted, just like anybody else who was to murder somebody. So this is where the stalling process is. This is where the roadblock is. You'll hear it coming now. Take care. Stay blessed. Hello. Thomas. Man, what is going on, partner? <laughs> hey, brother, how you doing? I'm doing okay, yeah, man. But... Screen. I'm looking at the screen. It says podcast, free me. Yes, sir. I'm moving up in the All world. Right. I got my caller really ID are. to free me podcast now. I'm, I'm doing big things. I'm actually looking at you. I got a phone number for you here now, too. Is that a good number? Is that a number I can call? Yes. I'm bored? Yes, sir. All right. How you doing, bro? What's good word? Man, I'm blessed, man. So I have Miss Danielle Dunn on the phone with me. Hello, Danielle. Hey, how are you today? How you doing? It's nice to meet you. Likewise. And we're going to be discussing uh, an issue that Danielle has, but furthermore, man, what is going on, man? What? Why do I have to keep calling you here? How come I'm not in Michigan, Tamujan? <laughs> how come we're not having lunch right now? For real? Well, you know, I just had a... Just had another article in uh, Blue Water News calling out the Attorney General. You know, a year ago they had a special in the Detroit uh, Free Press, pretty major paper, saying uh, two years into its inception uh, of the, the Conviction Integrity Unit, uh, nobody's free. And now it's another year later. It was that, that actually was March of last year, so a little bit more than a year later, and still nobody's free. And um, you know, people are saying the same thing all the time now. If, if the guy with the worst case ever that everyone agrees is innocent can't get out, then who's going to get out? Now the election's coming in November, and nothing. So we don't know if this is... Uh, there was also an article, which, you know, you may remember, I, I predicted this a while ago. I said I, I believed there was a concern that these uh, large lawsuits were making them reticent to let people go. People like, oh, no, I don't think that's an issue. Well, a big article just came out talking about these cities that are facing these massive losses from these huge wrongful conviction lawsuits. So what I predicted last year, the Detroit News on their own, uh, author George Hunter just came out and said that Detroit's complaining that it, it owes hundreds of millions of dollars in potential losses in litigation because of these wrongful convictions. And suddenly the Wayne County CIU stopped letting people go, and the state one's been doing absolutely nothing. So some people think that besides being a political prisoner, um, I'm also the victim of this fear of uh, you know some kind of giant lawsuit. And, um, you know, think about that for a second. We, we lead the nation in wrongful convictions. We establish these units. They, they prove that a bunch of guys were innocent, and there's thousands of cases pending. And suddenly it's, yeah, we're not letting anybody go now. And uh, then an article comes out saying, oh, well, these, these guys are filing giant lawsuits. Well, what are you supposed to do if you lose 30 or 40 years of your life for a crime you didn't commit? You know, and, and what was at one time one of the most violent prison systems in the nation? When I came down... 
uh, Michigan uh, led the nation in violence, and we had the, I was actually in what's, what was the world's largest walled prison when I started. Uh, there were two corrections officers killed the year that I came to, uh, to Jackson. They were killed, uh, one of them was killed in front of me. So it was an insanely violent system, and um, uh, brutal and oppressive on top of that. And now you're just supposed to go, ah, well, okay, no harm, no foul, I guess. So um, we don't know really what's going on, but we do know they're doing nothing. And uh, it's making everybody really angry. And uh, that's where we're at. Well, it's definitely making me angry. And, 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 and I really feel like a lot of it is because of, like I told Paula, right? I really feel like a lot of it is because a lot of people would say that you speak conservative, right? Yeah, that's true. That's, even though, I, you know, I've supported a thousand uh, liberal causes and, and, you know, obviously have enormous uh, liberal and democratic support, including from elected officials, I'm more conservative in my, some of my prison viewpoints, uh, you know, or my solution viewpoints. I mean, like, you know, like, look what's going on with the border, you know, and Ukraine. So I've, I've written extensively about what a travesty, what's going on in Ukraine is, but we're doing nothing about our border. So our argument is we can give billions of dollars to the Ukraine, which, and I support defending Ukraine, but we give billions of dollars to the Ukraine, we're doing nothing to fix our border. And so the world's just flooding across our border. America can't sustain that forever. We're looking at uh, uh, a population the size of New York coming across the border every year right now as it stands. 8,000 a day. 8,000 a day. 8,000 people a day are coming across our border. And so that you're going to hit a breaking point. And there's this mindset in, among some of the elites in Washington that, well, you know, we haven't, uh, we haven't filled up the Midwest yet with people. Well, you, know, you can't complain about the planet and overcrowding and fuel and inflation and everything else at the same time bring in millions and millions and millions of unemployed people and then put them on the welfare rolls and Social Security and free medical care and free college and then start giving the illegals that are coming in. And they are coming in illegally. They're not doing it by the proper process. There is a process to come into the U.S. You can come into the U.S. They're not doing that. And then say, uh, we're not going to give you more rights, more freedoms, and more gifts than we're giving to American citizens. And or to those who came here legally. So if you come here legally, you don't get a free cell phone. If you come here illegally, you get a free cell phone. If you come here illegally, you don't get a free hotel room and bags of food and hundreds of dollars in clothing vouchers. If you come here illegally, we, we're going to give you all this stuff. And we go, well, we're being humane. Well, you're not being humane to the ones that are coming here legally. You're not being humane to the homeless. You're not being humane to all these veterans. You're not being humane to poor people. And there are poor people all over that we don't talk about. Look at Appalachia, just as an example, to this day. Yeah. Dirt poor. And nothing's being done about that because it's not, you know, uh, it's not politically interesting. I remember once uh, a woman screaming at um, Princess Diana because she would go take these photo opportunities in Africa. And she would hold a little black child in her arms and she would weep. And these English citizens came back and said, you miserable, awful human being. There are starving people in England. There are ghettos in England. There are minority children in England who don't have any food. They don't have anything. And you're doing photo ops over in Africa, and you're holding these little children, and you're weeping, and then you're leaving. You know, this is what we tend to do. We, we tend to do the things that make us feel good or make us look good, but we don't really fix the problems. And, you know, we're not fixing the problems. We're not fixing the problem with Ukraine. We're just helping Russia and Ukraine murder each other. And we're not fixing the problems with our poor. We're definitely not fixing the problems with our border. And we should be telling people, if you want to come here, there's a process, follow the process, and then we'll give you all the goodies. Then we'll honor you in every possible way. But we're not doing that. And as you know, uh, people are coming from everywhere. And, and literally 180 countries right now are coming across that border. 
the Mexican government's doing nothing about this. So they're facilitating this. And, um, you know, it, it just shows you how crazy things have gotten. And, and now even uh, 29 Democrats have now signed on just as of today saying do not, you know, get rid of Title 42 because you're destroying the country. And this is, and so then, of course, if you say that, then you're a racist. Well, no, there's white people coming across that, but there's Ukrainians coming across that border right now. Everybody's coming across that border. This is not about racial discrimination. It's that you just can't let millions and millions of millions of people come into your country and take up all of your resources. And uh, that's that's sadly where we're at right now. And, you know, I, I, I really fear for our future. I absolutely fear for our future. Yeah. Yeah, there's no yeah. question about that. But so... <clears throat> These are all facts, man, and these are things that we have to we have to really be awake to. But let's shift gears a little bit to Miss Danielle now, and yep. uh, we're going to hear her story, and okay. and you and I are going to discuss some of the things, um, just to solidify her story, so that the listener okay. can understand that what she's saying isn't just her making things up, but that this happens every day in probably almost every prison. So, you're on, Miss yep. Danielle. Well, hey, thank you for having me today. I appreciate it, and it's a pleasure to be speaking with both of you today. Um, as I uh, briefly kind of gave you the breakdown uh, earlier this afternoon, uh, so this story definitely happened. It's all documented. Um, we've won a civil suit. Uh, criminal charges are pending. Um, my brother, Jonathan Lancaster, was incarcerated for about eight and a half years. Uh, he was moved to the Alger Correction Facility from uh, a facility downstate, and he was moved to solitary confinement cell there based on a fight that occurred. And that was the beginning of January. March 11th, we received a phone call that he had passed away. So healthy 38-year-old young man was placed in solitary confinement, began to have uh, mental health issues, based on being placed in solitary and the abuse uh, that was perpetuated against him there. And medical staff, 45 staff members, including medical, LPNs, RNs, watched him die. He was moved to a observation cell where he was placed in soft restraint, strapped to a bed. Medical staff came in and basically just labeled him being difficult, attention-seeking, things like that when he was actually catatonic. Um, they said he's one, one meal away from a hunger strike. And he literally was catatonic laying there. He couldn't respond. He couldn't move. He couldn't speak. He couldn't open his eyes. They even document that he was drooling on himself, laying in his own waist. And this is MDOC document that I have. Uh, all of this is occurring, and they're watching and just saying he's being difficult. You know, and he ultimately dies of dehydration, starvation on March 11th. Can I ask a couple questions real quickly, please, uh, uh, Danielle? Um, most of the cells in segregation at the former maximum facilities have video. Was there video in Jonathan's cell? There is over 40 hours worth of video involved, yes. Okay. And can I ask, uh, Alger, uh, just for the listeners, uh, was formerly uh, one of the MDOC's abusive maximum security facilities. Mm -hmm. It was later converted to what they call a level two and a level four. Um, these are really false designations. They take these maximum facilities and they say, well, they're not level fives anymore. Now we're going to call it a level four. But you have the same staff, the same restrictions, the same punitive measures. 
the same cells with no ventilation and sealed windows, etc. In, in a lot of the maxes. And um, I just want the listeners to know that just because they call it a two or a two and a four, um, it's still really a level five. And mm-hmm. almost nothing changes. So the staff who have the mindset of a maximum security facility are still there. Now, if you say that, well, it's now a level four, or now it's now a level two, they, they don't really care. That means nothing to them. It's just a way for the MDOC to get around this maximum security level five designation. So it's kind of like, we're going to beat you with the same stick, but we're going to not call it beating anymore. We're going to call it a, a, a gentle shiatsu massage. Um, also, you mentioned March. Was Can I ask you what year that was? 2019. That was in 2019. Okay. Go ahead, right. please. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, you know, one of the things that I find that blows my mind, and I guess it shouldn't at this point because I've heard so much now in the three years that I've been working with advocacy for uh, incarcerated folks who are currently so incarcerated, is one of the things, you know, prior to them removing him from his cell, the report notes that he was non-responsive. You know, and when you look at the medical experts report, it shows that he wasn't able to respond. They pepperballed him eight times and used an entire can of spray on his face. Let's talk about excessive. You mentioned level five and the mentality of the COs that are there. That's exactly correct. what was their justification, or just for, uh, again, for listeners, uh, pepperballing is, is done through either a stun grenade or a gun. The gun fires explosive capsules that spray uh, a very powerful uh, cayenne-mixed agent or a crowd control or crowd-strength agent mm-hmm. at the individual. Those are generally only used in riot situations, just so the listeners know. You may have seen this in movies before. There'll be a fight in a chow hall in a prison. There are knives coming out, and people are fighting. It's very violent and very bloody, and staff will take defensive measures. Pepperball weapons are never ever to be used on an unarmed individual in a cell for example and they're never to be used as a control device Uh, control devices are uh, shields Uh, they have special armored gloves the staff will put on uh, body gear and use physical force to repress the individual and hold them down but they have no authority to fire a weapon at a prisoner for being non-compliant so i want all the listeners to know this, this in itself has been held by our U.S. Supreme Court to be a huge civil rights violation. You cannot use a weapon against a prisoner who is not armed and is not posing a physical threat to other individuals. So if you do a cell rush on a prisoner, you can gas them, but you cannot fire a weapon or a projectile at them. You cannot tase them, for example. Those are restricted to things like uh, armed individuals, prisoners that are fighting other prisoners. You're trying to save a life. So it sounds like uh, Jonathan went through not just hell, but an, an excessive amount of abuse far beyond what would have been necessary, even if he was being non-compliant in some way. And uh, this is part of what goes on in Michigan. And just so the listeners know, there's a famous case from Michigan, infamous case, the Timothy Souders case, yeah. um, who, who died from uh, basically starvation and dehydration uh, while nurses were begging for permission to give him water was being denied. And former MDOC director Patricia Crusoe was on the evening news. I'd have to uh, have somebody Google it to find the uh, episode. Basically mm-hmm. laughing about it, thinking it was funny. Yeah. Saying, well, you know, things happen in prison. No, they don't. No. People, staff, become aggressive, just like we see law enforcement do sometimes. And they, they build their anger. They build their fury up. They have very poor self-control. A lot of these guys get used to brutalizing prisoners. A lot of prisoners with mental health problems in the MDOC or in the higher security levels don't have family support. And they don't have attorneys, they don't have money, and they don't have connections, so they can get away with this stuff. So 
AT. Those who are used, yeah, those who are used to doing these things will do these things on a regular basis because they can get away with it, and they know who and how and where and when they can get away with this. So go ahead, please. T. And then again, when this, oh, hold on. when this ultimately oh. comes out, a, a, sorry. AT, what 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 was it that you yeah. wanted to search for the soundbite? What's that, brother? What did you want to search for the soundbite? You said that you wish you had the soundbite for? Oh, yeah. There's a, a Patricia Caruso news interview. It might have been on Dateline. Um, after Timothy Souders died, uh, an attorney named Daniel Manville uh, here in Michigan handled that case. And um, there was another death at that time also, another prisoner death at that time. And we had a prisoner die recently here who uh, had mental health problems who... Um, he basically starved himself, and they just kind of let him wander around the yard in a daze until he fell out. And then he, I think it was electrolyte depletion is, is what eventually wound up killing him. Um, but there was an investigation going on about that. Nothing was really done. They just let him do it, and eventually he, he wandered around in a daze, like I said, and fell out. And they took him to the hole, put him in the hole. He wound up dying in the hole. So people have to understand what happens in prison because there's a mindset among a lot of people that say, well, so what? They're a prisoner. But that's not really how the system should work. Once you come in here, you should receive humane treatment, but you should also receive opportunities. Opportunities to become a better person, opportunities to become educated. A lot of people that come in here have mental health problems. They come from abusive backgrounds. These aren't just all bad kids born bad. But there is a mindset, once they're in here, kind of a, a throw them away mentality. And there are uh, generally three types of staff. There are the indifferent ones that could care less either way. They're the ones that see this as a chance to get back at everybody they didn't like when they were young or who every girl that didn't date them and every guy that ever talked bad to them. So this is their vengeance time. This is their power trip. And then for some, they actually care whether or not they're going to be strong enough to fight back against the system or the blue wall is a whole other story. But these abuses go on all across the nation, and it's absolutely abhorrent, and it's been a huge problem in Michigan. Um, the unit that I'm in presently right now was running a, a massively illegal segregation program. Basically took a prisoner wing and said, we decide this is maximum security segregation. We're locking up people for the most ridiculous reasons because they get, they get twice as much money for locking you into that cell. And then uh, abusing them while they were there. And, and the only recreation these people were receiving, these horrible, horrible criminals who were just in the population, you know, previously, um, was they were put into belly chains and put into an empty room and told to stand around for 20 minutes and we're going to call that your recreation before we put you back in the other room without the belly chains. Um, there were no activities for them, no programs, no, no anything. So if, if I take you and I lock you in a cell and I take away all human contact, unless you're screaming down the hallway at some other prisoner, and if I surround you with indifferent staff and poor quality food and poor quality mental, mental care, and, and no mental stimulation whatsoever. And a lot of people can't, they can't even read. So at the most, uh, they, they need music or television or something to distract them because a lot of them have limited reading skills. You're going to eventually probably develop some kind of mental health problems. And these things creep in very insidiously. It's just little things. You know, you don't start off hearing voices and wanting to kill yourself. But I can tell you right now, we have 20 cells down there where guys were smearing feces all over the wall and masturbating in the windows and mutilating themselves. Because eventually you go, you go down this spiral, and, and as you go down this spiral and you move lower and lower and lower into the, you know, the gates of Dante's Inferno, um, you become self-destructive. Then they call that attention-seeking behavior. So here's another justification. We've done these horrible things to you, and we've messed with your mental state. We've provided you no proper care, and we've uh, dehumanized you. And now if you act 
differently than we demand, or if you hurt yourself, or if you try to hurt somebody else, we're going to call that attention-seeking behavior, as if you're sitting around plotting how to get attention. Nobody wants to be pepperballed. Nobody wants to have a can of mace sprayed down their throat or be blinded with the stuff they use, which is horrible, by the way. Um, nobody wants to be beaten and brutalized and tased. Uh, this, is not, this is not something these guys do just to get attention. These, this is a cry for help. And it, I just I feel so bad for, for Jonathan in part because, and, and for Danielle and her family and friends because I've seen this happen so many times in here. And it, I think it's wonderful that you're out there fighting right now. And Thomas, thank you for uh, helping tell people about this. And it's just a travesty. This is still going on in this day and age. Well, that's that, that's the whole thing about it. Like I was explaining what Ms. Danielle knew, of course, but, but, you know, for the listener, you know, the women's prison, the things that go on inside of women's prison. If we're sitting oh, here yeah. hearing this about men's prison, you can only imagine what goes on inside of men's prison. You know, right. and now now what we're dealing with is what are they doing with with the the transvestites? You know what I mean? Right. And, and now you got yeah. these these they're, they're sticking them in women's prison. Now women are coming up pregnant. It, it's just right. it's it's right. so out of control, and yeah. and we are not paying attention because we're labeled as criminals and we just don't care. Right. Just government, listen, we got our own. We got high gas prices out here. Do something with that. Yeah. We don't even want to hear about it. But right. me, but meanwhile, yeah. meanwhile you yeah. got this this woman here who's who's who lost her brother. Right. There was there was the up in Michigan, up in Michigan, yeah. Tamujin. What was it uh, about two months ago? The man died of a heart attack when he was pushing the yeah. man across the compound. He pushed the man to the hospital across the compound and came back, went to the desk, was complaining at the desk that he was having a heart issue. They laughed at him, yeah. told him that they should that he shouldn't have pushed the guy across the, the compound, and then the dude yeah. died right in front of him for a heart attack. Yeah, it's funny you know about that. That's actually my friend Chris Davis. His nickname was Karate. Um, to tell the listeners, when I was a fish, when I first came to prison, I was out in the yard uh, doing some martial arts forms, and um, there's a lot of fake martial artists in prison, and this guy saw me. And he was talking to somebody else, another old-timer, because these guys come down long before me. And he's like, that guy's doing a Taekwondo form. I, I know that form right there. I know what he's doing. And he walked over to me and introduced himself. And the man that uh, Thomas was just talking about, his name was Chris Davis, but he was known to all of us as karate. And I actually spoke to him the night before he died. He had just gotten out of, guess what, our, our horrible segregation unit. This is a man who never got in trouble, by the way. But um, he got one of the phony COVID, COVID positives we had hundreds and hundreds of those in the MDOC and they locked him up and then they finally let him out and he died within two days but I spoke to him the night before this and um, so the next day when he was having chest pains and he had the classic symptoms the left arm numbness and tingling the sweating the rapid pulse the chest pains he went to the desk to report this they knew he had a, a, a history of high blood pressure and heart disease and they told him to go lay down so they called healthcare, and healthcare said, well, just tell him to lay down. And he, he did. He went and he laid down, and he died in his cell. And in uh, 2003, I was at the Brooks facility with a good friend of mine, Ricky Green, who had the same thing happen, and they told him to go to his room and just lay down, and he went to his room and laid down and died. So this goes on all the time. And uh, I don't want to make any of this about me, but I want to give you guys an example. 1991, I developed um, idiopathic pericarditis. So there's a sac around the heart called the pericardium and that holds fluid that lubricates the heart. And in my case, it became massively inflamed and it was squeezing my heart. 
So uh, my lips and fingers were blue. That's called acrocyanosis. So I knew what the signs were. And I was fighting with healthcare about this. And while my heart was failing and I was literally facing death and I eventually had two heart attacks, they were writing in my file, attention-seeking behavior. There's that phrase they use with Jonathan so many years later. These are tools that they use to justify not giving you care or to justify how they're abusing you. And in that case, I went and saw a doctor and two nurses came over and said, doctor, look at his lips, look at his fingers. And he said, oh, he's probably using drugs. And there's no drug that causes acrocyanosis like this. And even if there was, it would show that my heart was failing. And it was only because of my wife uh, at that time, uh, Amako Kensu, raising hell, calling a state senator and calling a cardiologist. And this is when we had open visiting. And this is part of why the MDOC got rid of open visiting, where anybody could just come in. That she got a cardiologist to come and see me. And he came to the prison and he screamed bloody murder. And um, fortunately, God bless this man. Um, he made enough noise that it scared the prison officials and they got me out and I was eventually placed in the hospital in an ICU and two days later I had two heart attacks. Uh, my heart stopped twice. So while they were writing attention-seeking behavior in my file, I had two major heart attacks. If I hadn't been in the hospital and if we hadn't had a little more liberty and freedom at that time, which they took from a sense, uh, I'd be dead right now. I wouldn't be alive. And, and yet, just so everyone knows, a month later I had a, I had a recurrence <clears throat> And I was back in the hospital again, and I was having a hard time breathing, and a nurse walked into my room, and later when I got my medical records, guess what she wrote? Uh, labored breathing, attention-seeking behavior. Now, this is a fact. I'll, I'll happily give these records to anybody that wants them. This was done by Dr. Zadawika Kakan, and I can't recall the nurse's name, but um, I'd be happy to provide it. So I just want people to know that this is what they do. And, and this poor man, this 38-year-old man, 38 years, is that correct? Correct. Yeah, this 38-year-old young man is in a cell basically pleading for his life and being brutalized and abused, obviously slipping into a, a mental state where he's incapacitated, becoming almost, as she said, catatonic. And the abuse continues, and it goes on, and he must be faking it. And I want everybody out there, whether you care about inmates, whether life is really hard on you right now and you have your own worries, just to think for one second, just to try to imagine being in here or having somebody you love more than anybody in the world being in this place your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife, it doesn't matter, your best friend, um, your mother, your father, they're in here and they're pleading for their life and they're being brutalized behind a four inch thick steel door and there's nothing you or they can do. All I would say to you is what would you want done? What would you want done for you? How would you want you or that person to be treated? What would you want done to those who abuse you or that, those individuals? Just think about that for one second and think also this can happen to you. Don't think that it can't. Mm. Those of you that know my case or some of Thomas's work knows there are thousands and thousands and thousands of innocent people in this country. So whether Jonathan was innocent or not, this can happen to anybody out there. And I want you all to understand that and, and try to understand also what Danielle and her family and her friends are going through right now. So that's enough of, enough of my rant. <laughs> I just, I'm disgusted by this. I'm sorry. Well, this well, and, that's, and, well, and that's the thing is... is <clears throat> like Ms. Danielle and and I know like this is this is your time to speak but this stuff enrages us it enrages Absolutely. us because we've seen it with our own eyes I've seen it with my own eyes I've smelt it I've tasted it I've felt it with my own body and this is why I get enraged because now I'm out here and those people are still in there and I just want to say for the listener these people are not, they're not trained medical officials. They don't, these are people 
who cannot get a job pretty much anywhere else. They're lazy. They don't want to work. They know that they can go get a job at one of these facilities for no less than $25 an hour starting out. If you go into the federal oh, system, yeah. you're banking, yeah. you know, yeah. and you don't do anything. You come in, you come right. in, you go in your office, you sit down, you close your door, you, you right. sleep for eight hours. You right. know, this is what yeah. they do. So when, when, yeah. when in, a, in a state with Danielle's brother, there is nobody there that has half intelligence to know what kind of medical that to know that no this person isn't faking that this person is serious and they're going to die. There's John, the, we're talking about medical staff as well as COs. We're talking licensed LPNs, licensed RNs, um, folks in addition to the untrained staff, right? Absolutely. People like Barbara Bedient, who is an LPN who has a adult daycare facility out of her own home. She is one of the main nurses who took Jonathan's stats, who said he's not being cooperative when he truly was catatonic medically. So this is what we're talking about. And we're talking about nine of the 11, and you know, this occurred in the UP, where you're either employed by the hospital or the prison in these small towns. Right? right, and nine of the eleven, eleven were fired. Nine of the eleven are still in arbitration, fighting for their jobs. Oh, they allowed some to retire out and just, you know, basically leave amicably right. without without right. being fired because of their time within the system. Right. And three years later, where no one's been held accountable, other than maybe allowed to walk away from or fired from their job, and we have. The Marquette County prosecutor, who is saying, we are asking for funds. We don't have the funding to take this to trial. How is this possible? Exactly. The Attorney General's office in the state of Michigan had this case first for almost a year. They also handled the civil side of this, right? So you have their civil, civil uh, office, part of their office, Handling the civil suit, Michigan came to settle immediately. First yeah. day we filed, they immediately came to settle, right? And then almost a year later, you know, this is one of my first questions to them. How are you going to handle the civil side and the criminal? Right. How's that going to happen? Right. How's it not a conflict of interest? Nine well, and a half months later, they say to me, it's a conflict of interest. And what I really found out was they tainted the case. They tainted it and they couldn't handle it. They then had to push it out. They started forwarding it to multiple UP uh, prosecuting offices who all had a conflict of interest, by the way, because they knew someone named. Sure. You know, and now it lands with Marquette. So as it stands right now, the cases in Marquette, which just so people out there know, that's the Northern District of Michigan. We have uh, the Eastern, Western, Northern District Federal Courts of Michigan. The Northern District is notorious for ruling against prisoners and their families in civil litigation. So I want to call them out right now, and I want to call out everybody involved to watch this case very, very closely and ensure that the Northern District does not do what they've been doing for the last 40 years in Michigan, which is brush-stroking prisoner litigation or prisoner-related litigation. They have been the worst court. Our, our Western District tends to be more uh, restrictive and conservative than our Eastern District. We have our best judges in the Eastern District Southern Division in Michigan. But the Northern District is notorious for allowing these abuses to go on. 
And so I I would just ask everybody, watch this case closely. Make sure that you have your voices heard as much as possible so that we get justice for this family. And I would also ask our attorney general's office, whatever involvement they have in the case, I would ask that they do the right thing. Dana Nessel's made promises to this state that she would stand for justice. That's why she uh, opened her CIU. As we know, um, we all wanted more from that CIU and hopefully we're gonna see that very soon. Um, I don't know all the facts here, but I wanna believe because she's, she is prosecuting um, some very corrupt people in Michigan. She even went after a, a Boy Scout recently for a horrendous case. I want to believe that she's going to do the right thing here and that she's going to make the, sure the right thing is done. And I hope she's going to use the, the power of her office to get justice for this family and also to, to make sure the MDLC stops this. Now, just so everyone knows, we have the worst director in our history right now in charge, Heidi Washington. She has allowed these abuses to go on endlessly. She became the director in 2015 while I was at the... Um, uh, Oaks Correctional Facility, a former maximum security facility, but she's been with the department for years before that, and she's been a nightmare. And she has allowed civil rights abuses not only to go on, but to ramp up massively. Okay. So for all the listeners out there, including those who know her and are mad at me for saying this, I'm living it, I'm watching it. The first thing this woman did when she became director of the MDOC was started taking things and belittling prisoners. I mean, taking the most petty things from us. A Christmas celebration, no longer allowed. Uh, wearing uh, presentable clothing on your visits when you go out to see your family. You want to put some jeans and a shirt on and look nice for your family. That was allowed in the MDOC for 50 years. She instantly took that away because she wanted prisoners dehumanized. And everything, she's canceling the music program and just taking away everything in the way of uh, personal property and possessions and then allowing the creation of these extra segregation units and basically putting out a mandate like like she's done with Alger and say, hey, go ahead, do whatever you want. Abuse the living crap on these people. And then when she gets called out and there's media coverage and there's a death, then it's, oh, the minute I learned about it, I took immediate action. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Because you've gotten thousands of letters. Yeah, because I've sent you letters, dozens of letters about abuses in here that you have never answered. And other prisoners have written you thousands of letters, and families have sent you thousands of letters and emails, Heidi Washington, and you have done nothing to stop the abuses in the MDOC, not just to me but to hundreds of prisoners that I personally know about or that I assisted or whose families I assisted. So, you know, we, we have called on Governor uh, Gretchen Whitmer to get rid of this woman. This is a personal friend of hers, so she's refusing to do that. Um, there was a 6,000-person no-confidence vote in the Michigan Corrections Union demanding, demanding the removal of Heidi Washington. Mm-hmm. The entire union wanted this woman gone. Liberal, Democrat, conservative, Green Party, Libertarian, it didn't matter. Everybody wanted her gone. Our governor, who's supposed to be a Democrat who supports the unions, refused to act. And that refusal to act is exactly why, among other reasons, this gentleman died in 2019. Because Heidi Washington made it clear that she was not going to punish these kinds of abuses. And so they ramped up and they ramped up and they ramped up so that within two years of this death, sadly, my unit was turned into a segregation unit filled with prisoners being abused for the most ridiculous reasons. Drinking alcohol, arguing with staff, things that were never an issue in the past in the MDOC, became grounds for six months in segregation and horrible abuses. And this is what's going on right now. So, um, Danielle, can I ask you right now, what is the status of the case? Is, is a prosecution going forward? Is there a trial date set? There is not. It's pending. They're waiting for funding, quote-unquote. This is a recent update as of this month 
from Matt Weesey, the Marquette County prosecutor. Um, they're waiting for funding from the AG's office. And what kind of money is he claiming he needs to do this? Are we talking some crazy number? I wasn't do we, do we know? Yeah. And so no, they just need funding. Yeah. And are, are, are they saying with funding that they will proceed with this prosecution? They have never given me an answer um, as far as whether or not, but what I've been told is it looks in their opinion that they will file charges. So, so formal charges have not even been filed at this point? Is that the problem? Correct. So we want to call on the prosecutor's office obviously to act on this matter. This is, this is basically the murder of a young man. And again, I don't think funding should be an issue. We spend billions of dollars. We spend $2.6 billion on the MDOC for nothing but a giant warehouse. Now, well, just well, so the I mean, we just, know, we just sent Ukraine $500 million more. Right, exactly. Yeah. Just so everyone knows, when I talk about the segregation thing, here's why this matters. And here's part of why they do this. No, but, so but, oh, no, 20, but, oh, but, yeah. no, no, because, no, because what if I kill a, so if I go to Michigan right now and I kill a cop and I go to trial, there's no funding for that? They can't take me to trial? Oh, no, 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 that's my whole point. There's plenty of funding. Yeah. No, that's what I'm yeah. saying. This is not, yeah, this is not true. This is not the reason. There's plenty right. of funding. How, part of how they get the extra funding is these kinds of abuses right here. The minute the MDLC classifies you to segregation, they make you a level five prisoner. Now, if this isn't a budget period, here's what happens so everyone knows. This is a game that they play. They'll, the designation of the unit that you're in has nothing to do with the expense, the cost, the, the, the work involved in running that unit. It has to do with the budget. So the unit that I'm in right now is Unit 5 at the Macomb Correctional Facility. Unit 5 used to be called a Level 4 unit. When it was called a Level 4 unit, they would get $40,000 to keep a prisoner in that unit. But now that it's called a level two unit, the exact same unit, and in fact, I was in the same cell I was in here 20 years ago. Once you're back in that unit, it's now called a level two, where they only get $26,947 a year for you. Now, if they make me a level four in the exact same unit with nothing changing, except that I do less, I move less, I have less, and so I cost less, they charge another fourteen dollars to $16,000 more for me. If they decide that I'm a level five prisoner, where I'm now locked in a cell all day long like Jonathan was in the hole, unable to move or go anywhere, and, I, and there are almost no expenses to keeping me in that exact same cell with the exact same staff, I'm now $50,000 a year. So if it's budget time, and you have 10,000 people in the hole who shouldn't be there, and you've classified them all as level five segregation prisoners, you now get double the amount of money for each one of those prisoners that you would have gotten for them if you hadn't put them into that segregation cell. Absolutely. Now, you should be furious about this out there, taxpayers, because there is no expense involved. The greater expense in prisoners is when they're in the lower level. I'm out, I'm using recreation equipment, mm -hmm. I'm going on visits, I'm going to the dining hall, I'm going over to healthcare and getting personal, limited, crappy, but still personal care. Um, I'm getting my laundry washed, I have personal clothing, I can go to the weight facility, and I can play basketball, and all this is wear and tear, and lots of staff, and call out sheets, and all these other expenses involved in being a prisoner. But if I take Jonathan and I throw him into a cell and I say he's being an ass, he's being non-responsive, he's engaging in attention-seeking behavior, he's locked into a cell where there's no expense except for the three little crappy trays of almost no food that he gets each day and a nurse at his door saying,
saying, oh, you're fine, you're a jerk, and walking away. There's no expense to keep Jonathan in that cell. So why are you paying double? It's not extra staff. It's not extra cameras. It's not extra security. There are no extra fences. There's no special guard dogs sitting outside of Jonathan's cell. What they're doing is they're doing nothing but dehumanizing the guy, locking him away, closing the flap on the door, and forgetting about him until they make the next round. Stop by, open the flap, look on him, he begs for help, they close the flap, they walk by. Why does that cost twice as much? Exactly. So when you're out there struggling to pay for your gas, you should wonder why the MDOC is getting over $2 billion to run this giant warehouse and why it has tens of thousands of these prisoners and the wrong security levels at budget time because that's how they get hundreds of millions of extra dollars. And I may have just stabbed myself in the spine by telling all of you this, but it's absolutely true and they cannot deny now, it. Now, Temujin, so, Temujin, yeah. listen, partner, that was beautiful. Yeah. Now, thank you. for the listener, take what he just said and multiply that by 50, 49. Right. That is how much this prison industrial system is making. And where is all this money going? You hear this woman saying exactly. that there's no money? Come on, man. Right. Stop exactly. it. Come yeah. on, man. Yeah. We have billions for a prison system in Michigan where we get terrible medical care. We get no education. We pay for our own recreation. We pay for our visiting ourselves. We pay through a prisoner benefit fund for every positive thing that we have. There is nothing for you if you don't have money, friends, or family in prison. We don't have any jobs. The jobs we do have pay about 20 to $30 a month for working a full day, five to seven days a week. So I work a seven-day detail, and I, I work every single day, and I make $40 a month. On the average, between 39 and $40 a month. I think the most I've ever made is around $41 a month. You're paying billions of dollars for this system, which is nothing but a giant warehouse. And then men like Jonathan are being placed into cells and being denied every possible bit of care. But guess how much money they're taking from you to deny Jonathan care? What the MDOC does with medical care is they contract out to private companies. Now, we used to do our own medical care, and I hate to say it, but it wasn't the worst ever in the 80s. And then in the 90s, we started using private companies. We used Wexford and United and Correctional Medical Service and Prison Health Service and then Corizon, and now we have WellPath. Every one of these companies has been sued, prosecuted for deaths, often driven out of or banned from practicing medicine in their own states. A lot of these companies are not allowed to do any work within prisons and jails in the states where they are headquartered to include, for example, I believe uh, Prison Health Services and CMS are both banned from their home states. We now just brought in a new company in Michigan called WellPath. Now, when Jonathan was murdered, which is exactly what happened to him, uh, they were under the care of Corizon at that time. The nurses were mostly uh, MDOC. The doctors and the specialists and a lot of the psychiatric staff would have been Corizon. And we gave that company $500 million for a year's care. We just gave the new company $560 million for a year's care. But just you understand what care means. In the world, your doctor gives you a bunch of care and then he bills Medicare or your insurance. So he has an incentive to give you a lot of care. And here it's the exact opposite. We give the money in advance to a big company and whatever's left over is profit. So whatever they don't spend, they get to keep. So imagine if you have the chance to abuse a bunch of dogs in a kennel and I say, I'm going to give you a million dollars to give these dogs some great care, and then I just walk away. Now, if you're a really good person, you're taking these dogs to PetSmart every day, and they're living the dream. 
they've got a huge run and a big yard, lots of toys and snacks and cuddling and snuggles and heating blankets in the winter. But if you're the average mass dog breeder, which and we've seen these atrocities all the time, they're no different than prisons, and the people that run them are no different than many people that run prisons, then you say to yourself, oh, wow, whatever's left over is profit. You know what those dogs get? They get a filthy, dirty kennel. They get no love. They get no humanity. They get no attention. They get no toys. They get no snacks. They get no treats. They're brutalized. We see this all the time with animals. Do you think we don't do that with people? You think these companies don't do that? Their bottom line is profit. The bottom line for Corizon, while prisoners were dying, including a friend of mine who died of cancer here after he begged three years for treatment, Jonathan Lonchar, who I wrote multiple grievances and complaints for, by the way, they keep the money that's left over when John died from not being treated. Oh, sure, at the end he got some chemo. Yeah, and they, and they, they, they butcher the guy. They brutalize him, and he lived in agony and horrible pain, and then he died after 46 years in prison. They wouldn't even give me humanitarian release. But regardless, that's what we do. That's what we do. And that's another reason why people like Jonathan die. Corrections officers aren't held accountable by directors like Heidi Washington unless she absolutely can't get out of it. Mm-hmm. She doesn't send out mandates. She doesn't come and look in these cells. She doesn't come looking at these cells. She doesn't look at, she's not looking at my cell. That's for damn sure. And she sure is all not looking in segregation. The director of the MDOC does not go look at these abuses because then she can't deny that she saw them. And she doesn't answer letters or correspondence from a single prisoner or family. And that just shows you the monstrous trend. The last three directors, when I, when I came to prison, you could write the director, they would write you right back. It's a great idea, Mr. Kensu. They would even fix things. But sometimes they'd say, sorry, I can't help you with that problem, or try this, or talk to this person. The last three directors will not answer anything. Dan Haynes wouldn't answer anything. Patricia Caruso won't answer anything. Heidi Washington won't answer anything. These are horrible, horrible people. They know what's going on in here, and they simply do not care. They care about their status and position, how they look, and the power that they wield. And these are not the kind of people that should be running the prison system. And sadly, the great ones that are in here that really care about us will never get that opportunity. So this is another reason why this happens. And and we have to call for change. We always talk about calling for change. But this man was murdered, people. This man was murdered in a catatonic state by monsters. It sounds like 40, up to 45 of them. And so, now a lot of them weaseled their way out of it. So let me say this, right? <clears throat> How does a person even get into segregation? There are many, many reasons why. They'll come take you to segregation for any reason. Now, me personally, I've been in segregation, but I've never been subjected to that type of abuse. And let me tell yeah. you, like... And, and, and many of my podcasts in, in, in past, I've explained in segregation. If you're in segregation long enough, you come to a boiling yeah. point to whether you're either going to tip or, 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 yeah. or you're going to pull yourself out of it. But like Tamujin said earlier, I've seen people Absolutely. smear shit all over the walls. I've seen oh, people yeah. beat their heads up against the door for hours upon yeah. hours, crying oh, yeah. for their mothers. I mean, right. you see it when, when, when you lose touch with reality and solitary confinement and the guards will sit there and they, they'll make a mockery of you. When somebody's in there smearing shit oh, all yeah. over the walls, the guards will sit there and they'll put you on TikTok. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they think this is hilarious. Let me, let me ask you, Danielle, when was the last time you were able to speak to Jonathan? So I spoke to my brother um, probably the end of February, and it was quite disturbing. You know, I, my brother, you know, for lack of a better term, wasn't just my brother. I raised my brother since I was 16. Pretty much the only mother, 
you know, that he ever knew. We were extremely close, born two days apart. And um, his last phone calls me, you know, he was placed in there January, roughly January 1st. I received a letter saying, hey, I'm in the hole, you know, I'll call you when I can. And I get a phone call the end of February, roughly, and I knew something was wrong. I knew something was really wrong. He was not himself. He was not talking right. He was whispering in the phone saying the CEOs were going to kill him. Uh, he was telling me he was going to die. And it was quite disturbing. And, you know, my first reaction is, oh, my God, I have to get him some help. I'm going to call. But you know, as a loved one of someone who's incarcerated, if you call, you make it worse. Right? There's retaliation. Oh, sure. Sure. Um, sure. So that was my last phone call with my brother, him telling me that he was going to die. And, you know, I could tell something really, you know, he was having uh, a mental breakdown. Uh, he was in SEG for almost 90 days, and nobody could give me an answer as to why or how long he would be there. You know, even God. when he began to call and beg for, for medical treatment. When he was first placed in oh, segregation, oh, was he, what, did he tell you what he was accused of? He said there was a fight. He got into a fight. Yeah, that's what I was And now I actually, I, I've, we have, I, I work with lots of advocates. People have received, uh, who are investigating, you know, the MDOC and what they've done uh, as far as, you know, their, um, their, uh, oh goodness, lost for words here, but they, what they've, you know, their punishment to the, the corrections, right? So they're reviewing those reports, and some people will share things with me from those docs that I'm not supposed to know. And um, one of the things that has been said is, you know, why he was actually there. Why, what happened? What actually happened? What? So there was a fight over um, another person who had taken his belongings and had his JPay account and contacted my mother actually contacted my mother, contacted his girlfriend at the time, and extorted money from the, from his girlfriend. Um, my brother obviously found out about it, and there was a fight yeah. that ensued, and he was placed in uh, solitary confinement. You know, and yeah. what we're talking about, you know, incarceration touches everyone. I don't care who you are or where you're from. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it can touch anyone. It can touch any family. And you were talking about, you know, how we treat animals, how, what, what's done to animals. Those things definitely happen, and if something like this happened to animals, there'd be right there'd be people out picketing. I mean, we would tear the house down trying to get laws changed and things changed so that this no longer occurs. And we do for animals, right? Right. But we won't yeah. do it for human beings. You know. Yeah. No, we send a, you know, we'll send a team out to a puppy farm, but we don't send a team in here. Hey, you know, I, I made I made a TikTok about that because there was a and and I mentioned you to Mujin. There was a um, there was a TikTok about a dog, in a SPCA, a shelter, and they had the sad music, and it shows all the people walking by looking at the dog, and you know, 365 days this dog has been sitting in this in this cold cell. This TikTok got 2.2 million likes. I don't know how many views it got. 2.2 million likes. So I stitch it. I cut in. And I say, now look at this here. 365 days this dog has been in a cold cell and this video got 2.2 million likes. 
I say Tumuji yeah. Kinsu has been sitting in a cold cell, innocent, as yeah. an innocent human being, yeah. for a lot longer than 365 days, 365 yeah. months, right? Yeah. And and yeah, I said no, 30, and and, 30, I, and, I, years, yeah. and that's what I said and I said and then when I put that video out, it may get five likes, ten likes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We are. We have. We have our priorities all screwed up. There's no question about that. And and that's that's another reason why they're able to get away with this stuff. Now, I mean, listen. Let's face it. Animals are freaking adorable, and they touch our hearts. And somehow we forgot to find that in each other. And I don't know how that happened well, to us. Well, let me say this. But it's happening. What Dan, what what Miss Danielle said, and how what she just articulated, right? As far as the animals and how we're being treated inside, it's very important for the listener to know. The reason why they do this to us, the reason why they're allowed to get away with it is because of the 13th Amendment. The 13th Amendment specifically states that prisoners, convicted felons, convicted, those sent to incarceration are subjected to the same rules as slavery. We are to be treated as three-fifths of a man. This is why they come in there and beat us like we're slaves. They treat us like we're slaves. They feed us like we're slaves. We're sharing numbers. Timogen, you did a great job about sharing those numbers. I know for a fact that those are all accurate. And I, I don't know if you mentioned how many people are in Michigan in solitary currently. There's over 3,200 men and women in solitary more than 20 hours a day in the state of Michigan and if we're talking about that and we're, we're liking it onto slavery 65% of those are black people right people right. of color right. right okay so we have a huge problem a huge problem as to what's occurring in the state of Michigan and let me tell you what you asked about video Yes, there's video, as I mentioned, 40 hours worth. The right. state has been asked and requested, that's been FOIA requested, and only certain people can get it because obviously it's still pending right now criminally. Right. So right. the state, the AG's office, asks the, the groups that I'm working with, and one of them is Michigan Disability Rights, who's investigating what happened, investigating yeah, the DOC. I, I work with them too. Yeah. Awesome. They're wonderful. Yeah. Yes, and they were the person that they were speaking with was was chatting with you know the AG's office, and they they want the tape, and yeah. the AG's office says, "Why do you want it? This cannot get out. This tape yeah. cannot get out." So when this tape, and you know, it, it's for me, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because I want it to be out because I want the world to see what happened. I want right. them to see what they did to my baby brother. But on the Absolutely. same token. I know it would destroy myself and my family to see the atrocities and the horrific torture and abuse that he suffered. Well, that's, know, well, that's the reason why. Day. That's the reason why I brought up the partner that you were talking about, Tamujin, because they correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't they not try to write his death off as COVID? Uh, I'm sorry, pardon. Did they not try to write off that man's death as COVID? Oh, oh, yeah, they, that's, that's funny. Yeah, it's funny you know about that all the way out there. Yeah, they, what they did originally, because the prisoners were furious. This is a well-loved prisoner. He was a very popular guy and a very likable guy and a, and a good friend of mine for many over 30 years, obviously. Um, they started dropping rumors around that he had died of COVID. 
And so I immediately went ballistic. Um, I'm over at healthcare every night. I go to medical lines to pick up some things. And I started telling everybody, whoa, whoa, I just saw karate last night. He absolutely was not suffering from COVID. You guys had given him a false positive and put him in segregation. He wasn't sick with COVID. But the first thing they did was, oh, yeah, it was a COVID death. And I'm sure if they'd gotten away with it, they would have added it to the phony COVID tally. And we all know now the CDC has admitted that probably half of those numbers were bogus. Um, but in the MDOC, they did the same thing. They, hundreds and hundreds of prisoners were locked up in segregation. And just so everyone knows, uh, this, is, this is how bad things are in the MDOC. If a person had COVID when the whole COVID thing started, they were putting them in what are called strip cells. So mm. when COVID, whether you have COVID or hepatitis or AIDS or herpes, nothing has anything to do with you having, a, let's say, a television. They took these guys and they put them into strip cells and gave them nothing, not even a book to read, because they had COVID. So guess what happened when people started getting sick? They were like, wow, if I report that I'm sick, it didn't matter what it was, it could be stomach pains. They, would, they terrified the population so they wouldn't report that they might have COVID or they wouldn't report any physical problems at all because they saw how they were brutalizing these guys in segregation. And they took my unit, Five Block, and turned it into a COVID unit. And I was one of the, actually I was the last non-COVID prisoner to leave that block. But they took these guys and they punished them. Then they let everybody know, if you tell us you're sick, I don't care if you got a migraine, let us know you got a migraine, we're gonna assume you have COVID and we're gonna lock you up. And this is before they were even testing. We didn't have masks, we didn't have anything in March of 2000 years ago, two years ago. So now everyone sees what's happening to these guys. So guess what prisoners like a good friend of mine, uh, Joe Kearney did? He got sick and he didn't tell anybody and he died in his cell. But what he told people before he died was, man, if I'm gonna die from this shit, because we were getting no treatment either, he said, I'm gonna die with my freaking TV and my tablet. I'm going to have my music, and I'm going to have TV, and I'm going to lay in bed and die eating Cheetos before I die in this empty room. So this is, again, this is the mindset in Michigan. Now, the CDC did not say if a person gets COVID, take away all their worldly possessions. There was never any indication that that should be done. That was a plan that Heidi Washington and her team came up with. with I mean nothing, not even a book. So one of the first things that I did, and there are cameras in my unit, is I went around smuggling magazines to all these guys they had on this COVID status because they literally couldn't even have anything to read. This, again, is the mindset in Michigan. So to go back to Thomas's question, though, he asked about how you can wind up in segregation. It's different in every state. In Michigan, anything can get you put in segregation. And when I say anything, I mean you look at somebody wrong, well, that's threatening behavior. If you say, hey, I want to see a shift commander, you're creating a disturbance. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how politely you say it. We're allowed to ask the senior shift commander under our policies and procedures if we have certain kinds of problems. And so if you say, listen, um, you're not letting me go to my call out. You got an officer upstairs tearing up my cell. I haven't done anything wrong. I'd like to see a shift commander, please. They don't want a shift commander to come back there and witness the abuses that are going on. So they just tell you, cuff up. And that, which means turn around and let us put handcuffs on you. And then you say, wait a minute, I haven't done anything wrong. Out comes the mace, out comes the taser. Mm -hmm. Now you're not being compliant. And with no violence and no aggression whatsoever, they will light you up. Or they'll put that taser, they'll put the taser in your face, they'll put the mace bottle in your face, and they'll tell you, I'm gonna spray you right now if you don't comply. Now you're, now you're becoming emotionally distraught, like any normal person would, because you've done nothing wrong, and your cell's being destroyed, and you're following the rules. You're saying, hey, I just wanna talk to somebody in charge. You're not threatening to hurt anybody. You're not, you're not threatening to become uh, aggressive. You're not calling guys to rally around you. 
which would be inciting a riot, which we also have a phony charge for in prison. Any kind of noise you make is inciting a riot. I got it. I got an, I is, got. I got one of those. I got an inciting a riot. Yeah. See, a real inciting a riot is when you see in the movies the guy stands up and goes, "Let's tear this motherfucker up." And then, every, and then everybody riots, right. And then everybody right. riots. That's not what it is in Michigan. In <laughs> Michigan, it's, I want to see a shift commander. I have a right to see a shift commander. Why are you threatening me? That's inciting a riot, even though not a single prisoner has responded or done anything wrong. So now you're in the hole, and here come the tickets. And to cover their ass, you get a bunch of bullshit tickets, and they will stack them up. So just to give everyone an example, and again, this is not about me, but I was about 20 years ticket-free, and I went to the Adrian facility, which is one of the places that was beating and brutalizing and murdering prisoners in 2014. And this is one of the ones where they would throw you in a hole, and you would actually go in there, and you would die. And um, when I got there, the day that I got there, they said, Lloyd Rappeljay is friends with the warden here, Paul Klee. Lloyd Rappeljay had become... Um, a very powerful person in the MDOC. He was a warden that I was suing at that time, but he had a lot of connections. He was crooked as hell. He was having an affair with a sergeant's wife, or, or, uh, as I was informed by the supervisor for my job, and I caught them together in the school building at Saginaw uh, in, in flagrante delecto. And uh, so he tried having me fired off my job. That didn't work. I beat that. He had me transferred. I was sent from Lapeer to Adrian, and I was told the day that I got there by uh, an officer I've known for many years, that they've been plotting on you and they're going to ticket you into maximum security. And I said, I don't get tickets. I don't get in trouble. You know, while well, you're going to, and just so everyone knows, I went there with minus 33 security points. That's the lowest you can go on the MDOC. In just five months, I was a super max prisoner, plus 33. Mm-hmm. That's and how crooked they are. Similar to my brother. Similar to my brother. Exactly. Ticket free. Right. So no issues whatsoever. My last visit, right, right before him being transferred to Elgin. Exactly. He said right. there was one cop who they keep telling me he is on right. me, he's after me, he yep. thinks I'm a shot caller, all this right. stuff, you know, yep. and he was he was preparing to come home. Yeah. I also, let me, let me make this note as well, too, because you don't even have to do anything. You could just be filing legal work. They'll come and That's rip exactly you out right. of your cell. The, right. They'll take orders. The prosecutor will contact that prison and tell them to put you in segregated confinement. That prison will listen to that prosecutor, come rip you out of your cell, take all your property, which has all your legal work in it, and make sure that you don't get your legal work for two weeks and you will be postponed, you'll lose your appeal. Yep, and that's what they did to me and Adrian because of these two pending lawsuits. They literally told me, so just so everyone knows again that I'm not bullshitting you, the day that I arrived at that facility, I wrote a grievance. Before I was ever even in a cell, I went and got a grievance form and said, I was just told they're going to take all my legal work, all my expensive property, and they're going to punish me because of these lawsuits that I have pending. I was not even assigned to a cell when I wrote this grievance on June 4th of 2014. And do you know, they did every single thing to me that I said they were going to do in that grievance, including taking and smashing my word processor, taking five of my legal lockers with all of my legal property and denying me access to that stuff for months, trying to get me uh, screwed over in a hearing that I wound up winning where I got some of the legal materials back, still sending out three of those lockers illegally. And previously, Saginaw, the facility that Warden Rappel J was the warden of, had taken eight lockers of my legal materials. They will punish you. They will get a bee in their bonnet about you, and they will go after you with a vengeance. And it doesn't matter how good a prisoner you are, 
how hard you work. I have never been involved in any untoward behavior in my entire 36 years. No sexual misconduct, no assaults, thefts. I've had a couple fights. They were petty fights. Nobody was injured. No stabbings, no weapons, no gangs, none of that stuff. Nothing, not, uh, no theft, none of it. No racial activities, none of those things that you hear about or see in, in all the prison movies. It didn't matter. I went to that facility with a spotless record. I left there a super maximum security prisoner with no misconduct. And here's how easy it is. All they had to do every day was say, well, he, I gave him a direct order and he didn't follow it. And you, they call you the next day and there's a ticket. You go, wait, wait, what are you talking about? This never even happened. Well, the officer says at 12, 10, he gave you a direct order to do such and such and you didn't do it. I said, you're kidding, right? And then the next day they would call me in. And by the time I was done, I had years of sanctions that would have kept me locked down in the hole with no yard, no phone calls, no nothing. Fortunately, because they're so corrupt, I was sent to the Oaks facility where some very good staff, and there are some good staff, not enough, but there are some in the MDOC, looked at all of this and said, this is a bunch of bullshit. And they said, you know what? You're not going to do a day of these sanctions. We are not going to let this happen. We're going to treat you the way that you act here. And they did. And they were very fair to me at that particular facility. But what happened to Jonathan was he went to a place like Adrian. He went to one of the hell holes where they are used to brutalizing and abusing prisoners. And that's going to be their mindset. And it only takes, like she said, one officer to decide, I don't like this guy. And he buzzes some of his buddies up. Let's get this motherfucker. Okay, well, dig, I'll go tear his house up. And then when he says something, I'll write him an insolence. Now, as far as the things you can be put in the hole for, just as we established, anything can get you in the hole. The problem then is getting out. And if they want to keep you in the hole, all they have to do is say anything. Because the MDOC will not produce video and audio records for hearings for 90% of all the charges. And the MDOC will not make staff wear body cams. And I want to mention this because this is so important. Around the country, we've demanded that law enforcement wear body cams. But in the MDOC, you are directly confronting corrections officers on a daily basis. And hundreds of thousands of misconduct charges are written by corrections officers. A significant number of them are bullshit or they're exaggerated. The officer doesn't like you, or you dare to protest your rights, or you ask to see a shift commander, or whatever the reason is, or you say, I'm going to grieve you for this. Then they're going to retaliate. Because they're not wearing body cams, they can say you did anything they want. Well, he said he's going to kill me and my whole family. Suddenly you're in the hole. And you're like, wait a minute, I never did any of this. What you really did was said to the officer, why are you harassing me? If you keep doing this, I'm going to have no choice but to write a grievance. You what? You what? Cough up. And then you're in the hole, and then an hour later they come back with a pile of tickets. Um, Prisoner Kensu threatened to rape my daughter in front of me while he uh, strangled my poodle and made my wife watch. And that's what they do. And, and they have no qualms doing this. Now, this is not every officer, but it's too many. And lastly, everyone knows when you have a corrupt police force, like Serpico, you might have a couple good guys on the force, but are they going to risk their jobs and their careers for you or for Jonathan? So the guys who saw Jonathan being abused that weren't actually abusing Jonathan were not going to tell on their buddies. They weren't going to risk their job. They weren't going to risk being a pariah at work. So you're just kind of like, uh, you know, whatever. I'm just going to turn the other way. I didn't really see anything. I don't know anything. They're not going to document it. They're not going to write an email. They're not going to tell anybody what's going on. And that, and that's and, what, and yeah, that right. right there don't make them no good guys. You don't no, get no, you no, don't no, you no, don't get to no. take your uniform off and go home and tell your wife that you're a good guy and tell your family that you're right. a good guy. Yeah, we keep saying silence is violence. Do we mean it or not? Because the hell that goes on here, think about how many people must have seen what was happening to this man. 
get it okay uh, yes at the yeah. end of the day you're not supposed to be fighting and and just like right. out here in public if a, if a man was to come to my house while I wasn't home and be making advances right. at my wife and I came home and caught that right. I would attack that man right. out here I would get arrested I would go to jail yeah. I'd face charges we understand those right. things the, we, right. we're not talking about the process what we're talking about right. is the abuse of the process right exactly 
exactly. And they and they let these things go on, unfortunately. And then if you if you're let's say you're being pressed for sex in prison, and this happens to a lot of prisoners, of course, we, and we all know about that. There's a congressional act called the uh, Prison Rape Elimination Act because the problem is, is so rampant in, in the nation's prisons and jails. But if you stand up to the person and he puts his hands on you and you start struggling back, let's say he's trying to drag you to the shower and rape you, in the MDOC, they will charge you with fighting and they will find you guilty. They will not say, oh, it was self-defense. In 99% of the cases, they'll say, you were both mutually fighting and it doesn't matter what the reason is. They'll just say, well, you were lying. Well, you're just saying that to get out of the ticket. Right. I don't know the facts of, of Jonathan's fight, but I'm guessing he wasn't running around kicking everybody's ass at Alger or he'd have been in the hole the entire time. And then when he winds up in the hole, just so you guys know, fighting's like five or ten days. This is a guy who's a short time around his way home. He's not getting some long-term laydown in segregation if things are being done the normal way. So why is he still in the hole and dying a month and two months later? And another important... And Another important right fact is this, for the listener to understand and know, I did my time in the federal system. I was never in the state of Michigan. Everything that you hear Tamujin saying is my experience, and this is why when I say things, he knows because it goes on in every prison. Right, exactly. And why wasn't he transferred? They should have moved him. When you have a problem with another prisoner like that, then there's a thing called failure to protect if they don't act and you get into another conflict of some kind. So if these things were really happening and somebody had been in Jonathan's J-Pay and he was a short-timer, and it doesn't matter how tough he is either, even a short-timer wants to go home. You can be the biggest, baddest, meanest guy in the world, but if you're trying to go home, you're going to do everything you can to stay out of trouble. And there are prisoners who know that, and they will take advantage of that. Oh, that motherfucker's going home. I can squeeze his guts out. So Jonathan says, hey, you know what? I don't want any trouble, and some bad things happen, and people are trying to rob him and steal him and extort his family, and he's just trying to go home. And he goes and he confronts the guy, and then an altercation ensues. And now Jonathan's in the hole. What did the MDOC do to fix any of this? What they did was they murdered Jonathan Lancaster. It's that simple. That's what it came down to. They murdered a young man over absolutely nothing. Now, she mentioned this chair. I want to explain how these chairs work. They have these things called uh, uh, Sanford chairs and Sanford beds or restraint chairs. And there's a variety of different models. Most of them are designed to be excruciatingly uncomfortable. They have uh, cages and they have grooves that your body fits into. Some have face masks or head holders. They have head and neck restraints. They'll pin your arms behind you in an excruciatingly painful position so they go numb right away. And um, they'll leave you in these chairs for hours at a time. These chairs are only supposed to be used for people that are being so violent that they're going to hurt somebody else or themselves. They are never, ever, ever allowed to be used in any state legally as a punishment tool. It's supposed to be for the safety of the prisoner and the safety of other individuals. So unless Jonathan is just trying to murder somebody under our own policies in Michigan or rip his own face off, he's not supposed to be in that chair. So why would this man place in the chair like that? Let me make it very clear with you saying that. Yeah. The medical experts state that at that point he was catatonic. He could not speak. He could not open his eyes. The MDOC basically, they document themselves, I have the document, they document in their reports that they had to pick him up and place him in it. He was not right. even able to to stand up, to walk. Right. And their response to him is, hey, if you keep this up, 
you know, you don't eat, you don't drink, you could die from yep. that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, so everyone knows every prison has regular medical gurneys like you see in an ambulance. We have very nice ones here. In fact, as I walk out of this room, I can actually see where that stuff is at. We have backboards, like you see them use, people that are in car crashes and things. They have strap spots. You can strap a prisoner to a backboard where they can they can breathe and they're not being compressed and folded, having their joints pulled out of line. He could have been handcuffed to a gurney. Every prison has dozens of wheelchairs. He could have been placed in a wheelchair and just had his hands handcuffed to the sides of the wheelchair. There are things they could have done to this man to transport him. What they did was they chose an excruciatingly painful and restrictive mechanism that is never supposed to be used for medical transportation of an individual, only supposed to be used to stop him from hurting himself and others. So every one of you has to ask, even if you don't care, why did they do this to this man? He's not fighting. He's not thrashing. He's not biting. He's not trying to hurt staff. He's not trying to hurt himself. Why wouldn't you simply put him out near in a catatonic state, basically, in a wheelchair and take him out? When I went into a hospital for my bowel surgery, I was in a wheelchair and I was just handcuffed to the wheelchair. And I was in segregation. Why was he put into that restraint chair? Because the restraint chair hurts. It's a punishment tool. It is not for the safety of staff in that particular situation with a man who's supposed to be on his way to the hospital who's nearing death. And these are the kinds of abuses that every one of you should care about because I promise you, a simple drunk driving one night and you're in a county jail and there's one cop that's just a dick, and you say the wrong thing, and the next thing you know, you're in one of those chairs, and you can't breathe, and your joints are being twisted. Or they tie you to a Sanford bed, naked, by the way, because that's how they do it in the MDOC. They strip you butt-ass naked on video where everybody can see you. And I've had this done to me. I have no mental health history, and I've had this done to me in the MDOC for challenging the abuses of Adrian. They placed me in a cell and stripped me naked for three days and left me in that cell butt-ass naked for three days on video for everyone to see. Then they put me naked into a wheelchair and they wheeled me over to another unit, cuffed to the chair. I was not being violent or aggressive. I was never accused of being violent or aggressive or suicidal, and I was never charged with anything related to this. The only tickets I had were these. Refusing a direct order, I, I told him to go to, a, go to the kitchen and he said no, so I gave him a ticket. That's it. So... We know that Jonathan wasn't doing things that warranted this because they would have had video of these events. They would have video of him being violent with staff. They have little portable cameras everywhere they carry around, plus there are cameras in the units. They're trying to hide the video people because he's not doing those things. If the video backed up anything they did to this man, they could not wait to release that video. And as we've all seen, when, when police body cams are released during shootings and things, they want everybody to, they say, they want everybody to know what really happened. We, he was fighting for my taser. We had, a, we had a, a shooting here recently in Michigan. Officer shot a man in the head. He claimed the guy was fighting for his taser. The man was disoriented, etc. And they used that camera footage to justify, quotation marks, the shooting. Did they need to shoot a man in the back of the head? Of course not. But regardless, why don't they want to release the video? And again, you know, I'm just going to call on our AG to say, hey, you know what? This is a chance for you to step up. The elections are coming. Show everybody you care about criminal justice reform. Show everybody you care about abuses, not just by police in the free world, but behind the walls once you're in this place. Show that you will not tolerate this stuff on your watch. Make these people pay and send out the word. Now, the attorney general has a thing called the corrections division in the attorney general's office. And these are the lawyers that work with and defend the MDOC. Or sometimes decide not to defend them, depending on how bad their abuses are. 
she can work with her corrections division and call in the MDOC and say, the gloves are off. That all this abuse crap stops. If I hear about this anymore, we're going to be doing civil rights prosecutions and, if necessary, criminal prosecutions. I want video of everything. If there's an incident, you get a camera. You film it. I want a record, and I want it retained. Some facilities, like Adrian, they get rid of all their video right away if it doesn't make them look good. And then when you try to get it later on, it doesn't exist. So Danielle's blessed. They actually have the 40 hours of video that they've got. But remember something. 40 hours for all the time that guy's in the hole is not very much. So there's a lot of video missing because those cameras run all day, every day. And if they're only saying we have 40 hours worth, I, I can only imagine how bad the stuff is that they're not producing. But we well, have to assume that. Yeah, absolutely. To that, they are, you know, when they were doing the extraction from the actual cell, seg cell to put him in observation, miraculously, the um, camera, the handheld, that they're supposed to record all those extractions, right. yeah. um, multiple times they had dead battery. Oh, there yeah. There's no video footage of that. That's an old trick in here, yeah. That's an old trick in here. Just so everyone knows, in the old days when they used to beat us, they had the giant size video cameras. And so that's, I mean, the big one you'd hold on your shoulder, the big ones. Uh, they were they were very outdated cameras. This is the 80s. These are cameras from the 70s. And um, what they would do when they went in a cell and they wanted to kick your ass, it was they go, oh, look out, he's fighting. And then the camera would suddenly be pointing at the ground or be pointing up at the ceiling during the six and a half minutes they, that five guys were in your cell beating the shit out of you. And then they would, you know, they would write the camera, oh, I've got the camera steady now. And now there's footage of you and you're just all lumps and eggs and bloody nose and, you know, broken teeth and the whole nine yards. Um, the new trick now, because the cameras are so small and they can't get away with that is, Oh, you know, it wasn't working, or um, I forgot to put the SD card in, or uh, the batteries were dead. And that was a famous trick at Adrian, too, that was pulled by a lot of the, the scumbags that were running that place at that time and running segregation there. And so people, 40 hours, the man was in the hole for how long? Two and a half months? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he's in the hole for two and a half months. Do the math on the hours. Okay, 40 hours is a day and a half. Well, you know, barely, almost two days. So, uh <laughs> Where's the other 70 or 80 days of footage? And, and all these incidents that took place, where he was probably really, really brutalized, and they just weren't able to get rid of that video for some other reason. And there's reasons sometimes why they can't get rid of video. If the video has an incident with Jonathan and maybe somebody else, or if the video shows something they need to cover their ass, if the video is logged in in a certain way or it's already in a database and a computer expert can see that they got rid of it, well, they might admit they've got that video. But how many of those little handheld ones did they take of instance with Jonathan where they were doing something horrible to him? Or how many times did they not just, they just didn't film these incidents? And remember, Jonathan's not able to communicate all of this to Danielle. So it's not like he can call every time he's brutalized and say, hey, they just beat me again. Hey, they just told me they're going to kill me. One he of the things they did, guys. Yeah, yeah exactly. He was that information. You know, he, right. he'd been incarcerated for long enough to know, to know this is some, you know, right. and, Again, his time was winding down. He would never share right. that information, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. And yeah, you when we talk about property, you know, we requested his property after his death. You know, a yeah. man who's been in prison for almost 10 years, um, oh, yeah. you'd think that there would be photos, all the things that we have sent. He's going to have everything. The letters. Everything. Yeah. None of that was sent to us. We received yeah. his footlocker well, see, and this food is food items with dirty laundry um, yeah. and notepads with scads of paper ripped out of it this is this is yeah. the, this is the this is a lot of the biggest issue is because these are these are public entities 
right? These are these are funded by the taxpayer, but yet when a taxpayer tries to get information, they can't get none. Just just like even in your case, Tamujan, you, the, the conversations that Paula and I have, you know, the biggest frustrations that she has is the no answers, the the quiet, the we'll get back with you, uh, we don't know, we'll have somebody call you, uh, well, I, you know, all of this. You, we, we, the taxpayer, are paying you billions of dollars for for no answers. Right. Well, listen. I want to. I want to make a point about something that Daniel said that's so so critical. This is a family member. This is basically mom. She's a sister, but she's mom, and she's calling the prison about her loved one, and she's being told we can't tell you anything. So, so when did we decide that suddenly once you're in prison? You have, you have no rights whatsoever to, to let your family know how you're suffering, and they have no rights to know what you're going through or why you're being punished. Now, think about this for a second. This would be like a prosecutor taking you into a courtroom and charging you with a crime and, and not telling anybody what the crime is. Well, um, you've been charged with a crime, and you're going to do life in prison, and we're taking you to trial. What have I done? Well, you're not allowed to know that. Well, can I call some witnesses? Nope, no witnesses. Can I get some help? No, no help. You want to just plead now? I don't know what I've done. So Danielle calls and tries to find out what's going on. And, well, we can't tell you anything. Well, why can't they? Why, why doesn't she, as a citizen, who's paying for all of this, by the way, sadly she's paying for the abuse, she's paying for all this, why doesn't she, as a family member, a direct, immediate family member, have a right to know the status of her loved one and why he is in the hole or what his medical problems are? This is not a HIPAA issue. This is family. When we see somebody injured in the world, let's say a celebrity in a car accident, a doctor comes out and speaks, and he makes it very clear that you know I can't tell you anything under HIPAA unless the family says it's okay. The family has the absolute right to the medical information about their loved one. Imagine going into a hospital and your your loved one is injured and the doctor says, yeah, I'm sorry, I can't tell you anything. But the MDOC is telling Danielle, we can't tell you anything. Why can't you tell me anything? Why aren't you telling me what he's been charged with? Why aren't you telling me where he's at? Why aren't you telling me about his physical condition? Why can't I talk to his medical providers? Do you know why? Because they do this so much to so many people. They simply don't want to deal with having to answer all the questions. Because they do this hundreds of times a day in this state. They tell Danielle, your family, your taxpayer, F you. You have no rights. Mm -hmm. How did Danielle, a civilian, a citizen, who's not in prison, who's not incarcerated, how did she lose her rights to know about her loved ones? People, these are things you have to care about because remember, if this happens to you, your loved ones can't call and find out what's happening to you or what's being done to you or why you're even there. Is that the system that you want to support? And, and All this, you have to do... And, go ahead, please. Well, and this is coming from... <laughs> listener, don't forget, this is coming from a man that is innocent innocent right. in prison for yeah. 37 years thank you, thank you. <laughs> so listen also about the property because this is the other thing they do to get back at people too and they, and they clearly did this to jonathan jonathan's got family and loved ones and i'm sure they helped him out and so what that means is he's going to have all the amenities of life you're allowed in prison uh, which the state makes a profit from by the way so they sell you a tv they make a profit they sell you crappy overpriced food they make a profit. They sell you a pair of sweatpants, tennis shoes, they make a profit. So they have a profit in letting you have this stuff, and they're tied to the companies that sell this garbage at insanely uh, overmarked prices. But regardless, Jonathan, as a prisoner with 10 years in and with loved ones, is going to have 
uh, tennis shoes, probably several pairs. He's going to have a television. He's going to have a JPEG tablet with music and games and photos on it. He's going to have food and all the general commissary items and hygiene items that you and I would have, everything from potato chips to deodorant. And he's going to have all these things in his property. What they do when they do this kind of stuff to people like Jonathan is they also make sure, by the way, you lose every freaking thing that you own. And there's a couple ways they do that, too. When you go to the hole, they often just leave your property sitting there unsecured so anybody can steal it. Mm-hmm. So now Jonathan's in the hole for a fight, and the word gets out. And instead of going and immediately securing your property, which is what they're supposed to do, they don't. They might get around to it two or three hours later, or they'll let some inmates handle it. They'll get some quotation marks, trusted porters, and by the time they're done, he's got no potato chips, he's got no deodorant, he's got no tennis shoes, he's got no TV, he's got no anything. All of his stuff is passed out. Now, there's cameras everywhere in all the facilities. So I promise you there's videos of inmates piecemealing all of his property out and staff standing there watching them do it or totally ignoring them while they do it. And this is another way to punish you. So now Jonathan's in SAG, and they're like, hey, you know what, dude, man, sorry. Uh, They bring you a receipt for your property, and everything you have is missing from that receipt. Well, this is all we found when we got your property. Yep. It's another way to get back at you. And then even when you're in segregation, let's say your property makes it to the storage room in segregation with you. Inmates will go in there and clean it out if staff want to let them do that. So now they don't like Jonathan, and they're gunning for him. And he says, hey, you know what? Um, I shouldn't be in the hole. You guys haven't brought me a bedroll. I don't have anything. I don't have a sheet, a blanket. I'm freezing in this cell. Oh, you're a troublemaker, huh? Oh, you want to complain, dude? You want to talk to a sergeant? No problem. They're going to come back later and go, yeah, you know what, dude? All your stuff came up missing. It's all gone. So imagine how powerless you feel now yep. you're in this cell. So, you're being abused, and everything your family gives you, ir- irreplaceable things like photographs of loved ones, are gone. So your quick, mail, the treasured letters, gone. Everything from his sister that he loves so very much is gone. His phone book for the numbers he needs to call people, his tablet, it's all gone. Quick, Go quick story, right? And then, yeah. and then, and then the the last half hour, I want to get into what Danielle can do now as far as where yeah. she's at. But quick story. So I'm in Texarkana. I'm in segregation. I've been in there five months. Now, everything that Tamujin just said, they're shipping me to a different to a different facility now because I got into an altercation. Now, everything that he just said about about inmates taking your property from the shoe when your property comes down, how that works is you have a shoe orderly. We call it the shoe. Some call it the whole shoe is special housing unit. So we have a shoe orderly, and this orderly is probably getting transferred himself, but as I like to call them, they're bootlickers. These are guys that work for the officers, and they do everything the officers, they're little, tell them about the gun line boss, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so now what will happen is your property will come down here, and that officer will tell that guy, listen, you can have whatever you want out of this guy's property. So, right. so what exactly. they'll do now... But before that happens is they'll lay all my property out and then they'll have me come down and look at all my property and sign for it that it's all there, right? Right. So I'll sign for it that's all there. Then he'll call that shoe orderly to come in and clean it up and that guy will take all my stuff and put it in his property because he's being shipped. He's going to a whole nother facility. And this is federal. He may end up in another state. But, But Temujin, let me tell you, partner, now, this was a, a huge black dude from New Orleans named Bob. Now, I didn't know that my stuff was stolen until I got to another facility. I got to another facility, got in trouble there, got shipped from there about a year and a half later, ended up at Beaumont. 
Guess who I run into the very morning I get up to go get my breakfast at Beaumont? I run into hey, the shoe orderly Bob. And I went yeah. right to him and I said, you're the MF that stole my stuff out of the shoe. Right away, right. he started selling out. Oh, man, I'm sorry. You know that. No, 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 no. Get my stuff. Yeah, I didn't know it was you. They let me do it. They let me have it. And that's they what he told me. Back. That's exactly what he told me is that he didn't know it was me. The the, 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 the the cop was letting him take it. And, but I told him it doesn't yeah. matter if that cop let you take it. You're a piece of shit right. for doing it. Absolutely. I'm an inmate. Absolutely. I'm an inmate right. just like you, and you're taking from me. Right. Yeah, and that's the mindset. So you see how staff feed into that stuff in here. They're not in here making you be a better person. They're not teaching you moral lessons. I've watched staff let prisoners be stabbed or help get prisoners stabbed. I've let them watch prisoners rape other prisoners or facilitate the rapes to happen. We've had staff over the years that have helped prisoners escape through bribes. We obviously, uh, Thomas and I have talked about this, uh, every kind of smuggling. We just had multiple fentanyl deaths here. We don't have con. We just just got contact visits back like a week ago. Okay, I just had like my first contact visit with Paula, where I got to hug her and hold her and give her a kiss and sit without a shield between us. So the drugs weren't coming in on visits. And in Michigan, we don't get our mail. We get a copy of our mail. So the drugs aren't coming in the mail. So we all know where the drugs are coming from. Meanwhile, prisoners are dropping like flies from fentanyl. And is anything being done about it? No. Prisoners are being murdered like Jonathan. Is anything being done about it? We're, now we're hearing we don't have the money to prosecute these people. You've got billions of dollars. You just gave over half a billion to a medical company to not give us medical care. A half of, well, more than half, almost $600 million. Think of the interest on that alone, people, or what you could do with that for the state. This is a state where you cannot have healthy food, so we spend hundreds of millions taking care of sick prisoners if they get any care. And usually it's only if they're connected and grieve and, like me, file lawsuits or have senators out there fighting for them and lawyers and podcasts like Thomas. But poor guys like Jonathan are in that cell, and he's got a sister who loves him to death, but she doesn't know what to do. Now she's becoming a justice warrior after the fact. But look how she got here. Look how this woman got to where she is. Look what she went through and what she lost and what he went through and what was done to him. And now here she is fighting. And so the next thing he said he wants to discuss, of course, uh, which is very important, is what uh, what she can do. So where we're at today is, as I mentioned, we are currently waiting to see if criminal charges will be filed against the staff. So what I'm asking for everyone to do is I'm asking for you to go to our website, justiceforjohn, justiceforjohnny.com, and there is a big Could you, could you spell that, yellow... please, honey? I'm sorry? Could you spell the Johnny for us, please? It was different spellings on Johnny. Yeah. Justice for Johnny, J O N N Y dot com. Is that the number four or the word for? The word for. The word for. Justice for Johnny. Okay, dot com. I'm sorry. Correct. Please go ahead. Yeah. Yep. And there's a big yellow button there that says click here to sign our doc and to contact the Marquette County Prosecutor. So I'm asking for folks to reach out. Once you click that link, it'll automatically load into an email. You'll be able to email the Marquette County Prosecutor, and we're hoping to put pressure on them to file charges. That's one thing. Um, we're also working currently with the Open My Door campaign and Citizens for Prison Reform to bring changes legis legislatively as well as just oh, in general. So we're asking for people to sign our petition, change.org. We have over 10,000 signatures. Um, that petition is going to be sent to the governor. Sign the Good. petition at change.org to, to end solitary confinement. We'll be at Legislation Day 
uh, here next week, next Wednesday, in the Capitol at Lansing uh, to discuss again with our legislators. And this is something that I've been doing regularly for the past three years is meeting with legislators. We finally have some Republican uh, legislators who are on board now. We had some Democratic support to revise and refresh the bills regarding who can be placed in solitary confinement and then also yeah, some changes absolutely. we'd like to see within the MDOC, such absolutely. as the cameras, such as family members being notified when their loved ones go into segregation. Absolutely. So, and why? And their status. Can I ask you, are you working with uh, Senator Stephanie Chang? Yes. So, uh, for everyone out there, Senator Stephanie Chang um, is uh, the minority floor leader of the Democratic Party here in Michigan, but she has been a champion for us for, uh, I'd say, at least 20 years or more. She mm -hmm. used to work with the Campaign for Justice, and on a personal note, she worked with my wife to help with my wrongful conviction before she was ever in office. She's been an amazing senator, uh, mm -hmm. and she's, uh, she's just a wonderful person. So everybody out there, we definitely want to support Stephanie and anybody else that's working on these issues. And to our Republican friends, uh, absolutely grateful that you're joining on. Um, again, you know, I just I want to call out to our Attorney General, uh, Dana Nessel. Dana, I know in my heart, deep in my heart, that you care about criminal justice. I've seen some of the things that you've done. I saw how you've changed. Um, the offender registry in Michigan. I saw how you fought on the landlord-tenant issue. Uh, I see you do a, a dozen things that I absolutely support. Uh, the creation of CIU is critical because we have so many criminal justice problems in Michigan, and this is a great example of them. But, uh, Dana, I would just call on you for what it's worth and to all my thousands and thousands of supporters to support Dana, to push for prosecution, not only in the murder of Jonathan and, and any civil litigation that might flow from that, later on, or that's unresolved, but also that, that she supports these reforms, perhaps speak at some of these events, use the Corrections Division, the Attorney General's office, to let the MDOC know this is done, at least under your watch, this is done. And if you get another four years in November, it stays done. Because if we can fix this now, I promise everybody out there, if we can fix this now, it'll stay better for a long, long, long time. Now, we all know things can go downhill. But the trend in the MDOC has always been for things to only get worse. So as an example, uh, when I came to prison, we had far more property rights. Those are gone. We had college. That's gone. We had factory jobs. Those are gone. We had healthy food. That's gone. We had better health care. Not perfect, but much better health care. That's gone. We had open visiting. That's gone. I mean, I could go on down the line of things that we have lost over the years. Uh, personal clothing and so on and so on and every kind of hobby craft so we could actually make money in here and help our families out. I, I gave my family thousands of dollars from programs and projects and jobs that I had in here at one point. So I was doing something with the money out there. Um, that's all gone. We, we only seem to go downhill and these segregation abuses are horrible. Our segregation uh, even though there were beatings back in the day, was nothing like it is now. It was open bars, you could communicate with others, you had better food, you had recreation. It's nothing like it is now. Now you're isolated behind that solid glass and that steel door, and that's a much, much different system. And so, um, you know, people, we can fix this, and with this attorney general, we can fix this. And if the governor wants to take a stand, you know, we absolutely need the governor to take a stand. She controls the director of the MDOC. She needs to get rid of Heidi Washington, absolutely. I don't know if uh, Gretchen's going to get a second term or not, but Heidi Washington has to go. She's been in there too long, and this has all happened on her watch. And 
let me ask you, Danielle, is there anything I can do for you personally to help you or any of the groups or people that I work with? Is there anything else we can do to help you in this cause? Just continue to expose what happened to Jonathan. I don't think uh, the public really knows. Uh, we've, you know, I, I continue to do my best to share his story and expose it and try to put pressure on the prosecutor because those criminal charges are what's most important as Absolutely. well as just continuing to fight for those like yourself who are still currently inside. You know, this, yeah. this isn't something I ever want to happen to anyone else. No. You know, you mentioned Timothy Souders, uh, you know, yeah. Avery Alexander in the women's yeah. facility. You know, I talked to her mother on a regular basis. She lost her, her daughter. This isn't yeah. something that you ever want to see someone go through. Mm. It's horrible enough when you have a loved one who's inside. You, you somewhat do the time with them.
and look at what's happening to him before he went to the hole. So let me getting into somebody's JPay. That's me getting into your email, so everybody knows. JPay is our email, but it's also got our personal photographs. It's got our music. It's got our, all of our personal information on there. Somebody gets into his JPay account, and that's not hard to do. All they need to do is watch you type in your password, and now they're in there writing his family on his account extorting them, hitting on them, saying graphic sexual things, and it appears as if it's coming from you, just like if I was using your computer at home. So we know that Jonathan went through this, obviously, and look what happened. He becomes a victim. doesn't matter how tough he is. He becomes a victim in here, and then he's victimized, and he gets into a conflict, and instead of some rational heads taking care of this whole thing, the man's dead. The man was murdered murdered by monsters who are used to doing these things to people. And just so everyone knows, they use certain kinds of officers in segregation at a lot of facilities. Oh, yeah. Really, really bad people work seg at a lot of prisons. Now, not all of them. So let me Here say... we actually have some okay ones. Go ahead. So let me say, you know, you're listening yeah. to the Thomas Free Me TV and podcast show. This is Thomas Free Me. You're listening to Temujin Kinsu, which is an innocent man in Michigan State Prison, 37 years. Thank and you. we are talking to... Uh, Miss Danielle Dunn, whose brother was murdered, flat out murdered in in custody and in, in prison, and um, we're about to wrap it up. But I am live on on an app called Wisdom. We do have some listeners, and I am able to take guests. So if some guests would like to chime in on what you've heard, you're more than welcome to at this time. Um, but other than that, this is I, I again is it's. This is the premise of what my show is. What I'm doing is trying to get people to understand that even though you may write these people off as criminals and they've done heinous things, true enough, but it's, it's the system. It's this prison industrial system is going on in every complex, every building, every government-ran facility. It has our public school system wrapped up. It has our foster care system wrapped oh, yeah. up in it. It's, it's Juveniles. It's, it's sucking the life out of our poor communities. You know, when, when, when we were talking about slavery earlier, you know, and, and I, I don't want to mix slavery and black together because this affects the poor community and all. And, and, I, know, and I know that they love to throw out because, and, and I love to point out the fact that you are white, Tamujin. Yeah, yeah. You are yeah. a white man. And and, yeah, and and Frank white, white people did this to me too. And Frank Kepler, <laughs> yeah. Frank Kepler out in Arizona, who has seven life sentences for marijuana, seven oh life gosh. sentences for marijuana, is a white man. That's insane. Th yeah, it happens. It absolutely happens to everybody. And I didn't it, tell it you that story. When you're poor, I didn't tell you yeah. that story, Tamujin. No, no, that's horrible. We're gonna have to go over that. Sometime. So, so real quick, no, just real quick. So he yeah. was he was transport okay. he was transporting large amounts of weed, and okay. it was it was like it was me and you doing it, right? We have this large yeah. scale going on, and right. and you try to set me up to get robbed, right? Okay. Now during right. during the robbery, I end up beating the shit out of everybody you bring. There was three guys. I beat the shit yeah. out of those three guys, and you take off. Yeah. You get scared of your life now because you feel like now I know what it is. Now I'm coming at you. So you went to the police, told the police the whole operation. They gave you immunity and promised you right. that I would never yeah. get out of prison. Right. Yeah, that's that's just so everyone knows. Uh, it's so common in the system for the person who actually did all the bad stuff to get the deal. It's, there's an old saying, whoever tells first. 
And um, it's like Sammy the Bull Gravano kills 29 people. And John Gotti, you know, who ordered maybe seven hits, he gets, uh, you know, 10 natural life sentences. And Gravano, who was whacking people for people even before Gotti, who has all those other murders racked up, you know, he winds up walking. That's that's exactly how the system works. And that's that. But that's just that's insane, because bear in mind, again, we're talking about marijuana. We're talking about a thing that grows wild in the forest. And uh, and the government to this day, certain elements in the government to this day still want to lock people up for that. So that just shows you the level of control that we live under and how much we've come to accept these abuses. We've come to accept the entire prison system. And, you know, Thomas makes the best point. This is even more about wealth and power and economic status than it is about race because obviously there are a lot of minorities that are doing very poor financially. And then we have OJ who was able to hire uh, a team of amazing attorneys. The dream team. And whether you yeah, and whether you believe he's innocent or guilty, he had an amazing defense, and he's not in prison. And I had no defense, and this is a bunch of white people that did this to me, so my case was not at all about race, but it was about socioeconomic status. And I had no money, so they gave me a crappy lawyer who was a crackhead and an alcoholic who had been removed from the prosecutor's office. Well, he had to voluntarily resign, then got a drug conviction, was on drug probation when they gave him to me because I couldn't afford to hire a proper attorney. And if I'd had a proper attorney who wasn't from that area and I could have paid him fifty or $100,000, I wouldn't be in prison now. So this is about socioeconomic status even more than it's about race. But there's no question there's a racial component in our system. I, I will never take from that, and I've personally witnessed it myself over the years. But in Jonathan's case, this is a man who didn't have the power to defend himself, and poor Danielle didn't have a team to help her defend Jonathan while she was you know, going through this, and, and he died so quickly. This happened so fast. This right. is not Daniel's fault. What, what, what would be going on right now if that was Governor Whitmer's brother that just, that was that was murdered? You know what I mean? Right, exactly, exactly. And that's what everyone, we all know this and we say it, but we now we need to do something about it. Amen. And so, we, you know, we have to demand from our politicians the exact things that they get for themselves, get to themselves, and want for themselves. And we, we tend to let them get into office and make a lot of promises and then not follow through on the promises. And then we all sit back and go, yeah, that person sucks, let's hope the next one's better. And then the next one comes in, and listen, everybody does this. You know, I'm not, I'm not gonna beat up on Joe Biden, but he made a hundred promises he's broken, and he's destroying the country financially, and everybody knows that. Uh, Donald Trump pissed off the entire world and did things that a lot of people didn't like too, and so did Bush, and so did Obama, and so did Clinton. We can go right on down the line. Clinton was a rapist, and Obama was useless, and whatever we want, you know. And Trump was insane, and so on, and uh, and also a rapist. We we can attack them all, but that's not the point. The point is that we let them come into office and based on a million promises, and then they get into office, and most of them don't keep those promises, and we don't do anything about it. Everyone's sitting back now saying, we can't wait till Joe's out of office. Yep. Okay, three more years of what's going on right now in this country. We can't wait. Or, or some people hate Whitmer and they want her gone. And who knows what the next person is going to do. But what they are going to do is they're going to make a lot of promises. Now, one thing I do give Dana credit for is she said she would open a CIU and she did. She said she would do certain kinds of litigation to protect citizens and she did. Um, I don't know everything that people don't like about Dana because I don't have access to the internet. I only know the things that I see, which is very, very limited, of course, or what I hear about personally. But this is something she promised to do. She promised to do criminal justice reform. She promised to protect citizens. She took an oath. And 
said, I'm going to protect every citizen of this state. And Jonathan Lancaster and Danielle Dunn's rights were horrendously violated. Danielle deserves justice. Jonathan deserves justice. And the people who did these horrible things must be held accountable. And, and that's and the that thing. That's the, that, yeah, that's I mean, the, civil litigation and criminal prosecution. Well, that's what grinds my gears is who can Danielle go to now? She's, she, she's being told that she's at a den and she has to wait about her brother's death. You know what I right. mean? And and who is there? Daniel, have you, have you had a lot of, can I ask please, uh, Daniel, have you had a lot of contact with the media? Uh, some, yes. We have have they been supportive? Somewhat, yes. So initially a year after Channel 7 did two stories, uh, Jim Kirchner, so we had two full-on stories that hit the media on the news. Uh, we had another one. Rolling Stone picked up an article. We've had, you know, brief little things here and there. Yeah. Um, okay. We're right now, currently, this year, my new goal is to have a documentary made. So I'm in contact okay. with um, some folks that Death by Incarceration put me in contact with. I'm sure you, you know uh, Kevin Oh, yeah. Kraken. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. He says well, you're just, a genius, yeah, I, I, by the way. I wondered if you were, yeah, I wondered if you were, pardon me? He says you're a genius, by the way. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I, I wondered if, um, he was the person, if you were the person he was talking about, because we have a friend I'm not going to mention on the air who's, who's likely coming to Michigan, and they had two, they had two tasks, and yeah. uh, I was one of them, and I believe you're the other task. Yes, yes. So, so let me, let me do what I'm going to do for that. you. Yeah, let me do what I'm going to do you for know. you, okay? Yeah. You, are you, first off, are you okay financially? Yes. You sure? Okay. Secondly, um, you know, I'm tied to a lot of groups and organizations. And what I'm going to do, and my lovely wife Paula are going to do, and I know you've been in contact with her, is we're going to start getting your story out to everybody, okay? I appreciate uh, that. I want everybody out there, if you would, please, and Thomas, I'm not trying to take over your show, but please, everybody, tweet. Tweet your asses off. Make noise. You know, get justice for Johnny out there so everyone knows what's going on. Just like my case got picked up, making noise will get this picked up. Mm -hmm. I would love to get some celebrities on board to talk about this and talk about what happened to this poor man. This, this, is, this is a very quick death in segregation. These are the really bad cases where a person goes into SAG or they're arrested and they're in the county jail and, you know, a day, a week, a month later, they're dead. That's insane. Mm -hmm. There are people that have been in segregation for 20 years who haven't been murdered. So these are horrible, unique cases, and they happen far too often. This is not a man who died from years of abuse and segregation. This is a man who died from enormous abuse over a very short period of a time. Horrible this death. Is a flat out, yeah, this is a flat, horrible death and a flat-out murder. What a horrible way to die, strapped into one of those painful chairs, sitting in a prison control center, staring at bulletproof glass and bars in your last minutes, while some smart-ass cop stands behind you, mocking you, and then somebody else refuses to even give the name of that cop. He's, I guess he's just protecting his buddy, the murderer. So, uh, Danielle, I will do whatever I can to help you, okay? And I'm going to get a hold of everybody that we know. And uh, I'll happily work with uh, Kevin or he or our, our mutual friend that you know about needs any help. I'll be glad to help you, too. Um, I'm going to get everybody to go to change.org. Um, we already support Open My Door, but I'm going to do some stuff for them. I'm going to write Senator Chang and let her know that I'm there to help her with this, too. Uh, we'll get some people down to Legislation Day. And, uh, uh, hon, if you need anything, you call Paula and you let her know, okay? And we will be there for you. No, I greatly appreciate that. Thank you so much. We, we really okay. appreciate the support and the exposure. And likewise, you know, I've been sharing your story as well to continue to create exposure uh, on your story uh, as well. So I appreciate it. Don't you worry about me. Let's just take care of you. Let's take care of you. Let's let's put priority on getting this matter prosecuted. Um, people, if, if there's a way we can.
or if we can get them the funds or we can make enough noise that somebody in the state gives them the funds. This case has to be investigated. There's so much more we still don't know. It's going to come out. I tell everybody what's going to happen right now. Heads will roll and the telling will start. So-and-so mm -hmm. did it. I promise you, when people are being deposed under oath, we're going to know who that officer was that was standing there watching that man die and pretty much smirking about it from the sounds of it. Yep. People are going to talk. The deals are going to start getting made. And when the deals start getting made, we're going to know everything that was done to this guy. And I promise you, there's probably a lot more we don't know. Oh, and, so and, please. And, yeah. And this, yeah well, please. This, and this is the whole purpose of, again, the Thomas Freeme TV and podcast show is to document all of this. This is why... I want facts. This is why I want names. I want people to, to put these people out there. Because if Danielle if Danielle names names and then somebody else from Michigan calls and names the same names and then somebody right. else from Michigan names the same names. This is right. this is how I'm building a database of corruption in each one of these states when right. these people come to me. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, and contact our attorney general and, you know, support her to to act on this matter, implore her, plead with her, please. Do something about this horrible abuse. Take some action about these abuses. Do a press conference. Come out and talk about what's going on in the MDOC. And, you know, uh, promise there's, there's women that are being horribly brutalized at the Huron Valley facility. We had a huge rape case here in Michigan that went on for years and years with the feds involved and everything because female uh, prisoners were being uh, forced into all kinds of sexual activities or being enticed to engage in sexual activities and be rewarded for sexual activities. And it was on a huge scale. And we just had another officer here recently lose a loss, uh, win a lawsuit for $1.6 million for abuses by the MDOC involving incidents that happened at this facility. This stuff is going on all the time. The MDOC is losing 40 to $50 million a year in litigation costs. But this is, is a travesty of justice and it has to be called out. So I'm calling on Dana Nessel, I'm calling on our governor, and I'm asking all of our supporters and friends to do the same to ensure that we get justice for Jonathan. So what a, what a, what a great title. What a horrible way to earn it, too. But please, justice for Johnny, everybody. And, um, and, and my platform... Thank you, my, thank you, Danielle. Yeah, my platform's open, Ms. Danielle, so if you can get any of these representatives, any of them want to come to the show. Yeah. Come to the show, and, and we can talk, and yeah. we can figure things out, and I promise I'll be passive. I won't be too aggressive with these people. They make me sick. It does. Well, we, well, because there's, there's some good ones out there still. Stephanie, I, you know, I use her as an example because she fought for us long before she was in office. She's not just some you know, talking head who made a bunch of promises to get into the office. She fought for us on a volunteer basis for years before she was ever in office. And then she realized once she got in office, she could help sway legislation, and she is the reason her and Senator um, Stephen Bita are the reason we have compensation for innocent prisoners in Michigan. She's helping run the Open My Door uh, campaign. I personally have spoken to her about the segregation abuses in the MDOC twice. She spent hours with me on the phone about this while uh, nursing newborn baby, bless her heart. So um, she's a real one, and there are some real ones out there, and we need a lot more of them because... Uh, Ayanna Presley has spoken continuously about the problems in the prison systems and innocence and abuses and the elderly and discrimination. There are some out there that are fighting for these causes. And um, let's support them as much as possible. Let's keep them in office, whatever party they're from. Yeah. And um, let's reward them when they do the right thing so that they see the benefits of keeping their word. And, but when they don't keep their word, let's throw them out of office and make sure the next one knows. That's it. You'll get one crack, and that's it. You're not getting 20 or 40 years 
you know, in a in a, a cozy job in a limousine and a, a snazzy office and free espressos all day long, if you're not going to keep your promises to the people. Yeah. Daniel, so, thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, and Danielle, I want to say this in parting. Um, mommy, I'm sorry that you had to experience this. I'm sorry that you had to hear the loss of your brother in this fashion, and I'm sorry that you had to lose your brother in this way. It's, it's, I know that pain. I know the fear of being an inmate inside and something happening to me and, and how the, the coldness of how they would contact my family. These are things that we all think about inside. But for it to happen to you in, in that sense is, is, um, is, is, is horrible. And I'm sorry that that has happened to you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for your kindness and your support and your time, gentlemen. One last thing that I'd like to say, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say this to the people responsible for my brother's death: I will never quit. I am coming for you. You will never forget this face or Jonathan Lancaster's name. I promise you that. I'll never stop. Amen. Amen. And, and and I'm and I'm the wind to your sails, to Mujin too. Trust me. We're, we're behind you 100% with that. We won't stop either. Listen, Thomas, I got I to gotta just, I got to close by thanking you. You have been uh, an amazing fighter and defender. Um, it's so rare for an inmate to get out and take up the banner. Everybody says what they're going to do when they get out, and most of them go back and do selfish things for themselves. And that's your right. You know, you have a right to live your life how you want. If you want to get out of here and get high, get drunk, or just get a job and ride a 4x4 four four or whatever you want to do, that's your business play music, do whatever you want, but every once in a while, somebody says, you know what, I'm going to take that horrible thing that I went through, and I'm going to try and turn it into something better, and they take their own time and their own money, their own blood, sweat, and tears to get the word out, and Thomas, you've been doing that, you've been an amazing supporter, helping tell my story, so many others, including now Danielle's, but we need a lot more people to tell her story, so let's make all the noise we can, um, Kevin is a great guy, he's got a great team, amazing people there. And um, I know they're going to do a wonderful job, too. And I, I know the person that he's sending here. He's incredible. And um, he can't be ignored. He has, that kind of, he has that kind of soapbox. And he also has the talent and the dedication. So we're going to get to the bottom of this. And, uh, Danielle, I'm there for you. You give us a call. You let us know what you need. Uh, please, everyone, if you're following me, follow her. Justice for Johnny. Please go to the site, justicejohnny.com. Go to the site. Sign on the petition. Demand justice. Demand the prosecution of these individuals, and demand an end to this. God bless you all. Yep, yep. And I'll put the link in the in the description so that they could just click on that as they finish up this episode. So, Tamujin, once again, brother, you know I hate letting you go, man, because I know where uh, you're I going, don't. and it's it's man. Listen, man, I'm tired of having to call you here, partner, for real, nah, but. <laughs> But seriously, because this is this is this is serious, man. You yeah. know, this is this is for real serious, man. Like, this shit brings me to tears to know that you, as an innocent man, have to go back to a cell after 37 years, man. I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, you know, we're uh, we just had a, like so we had a great article in, in Blue Water uh, News calling out the lack of movement by the Conviction Integrity Unit. And um, my understanding is that the Attorney General's office was kind enough this time to actually acknowledge the interview uh, and to say, hey, we're still looking at it. Um, we had some people make some inquiries. Uh, they were also told we're still looking at it. Um, when they're going to act, I don't know. Uh, I do know the election's coming, 
and a lot of people, and I'm not even getting into the numbers right now because I don't want to give up names on the air, but some very powerful people have said they're going to go out of their way to um, fight against the people in power if they don't fix this. And um, we got some we got some supporters at a very, very high level that I was very surprised to learn about that have said, if these two women are not going to fix this, we do not want them in office again. We would rather have somebody else who will fix these problems. Criminal justice is a huge issue in this country, and it's not getting fixed. Um, we, you know, we have a majority in the, in the House and Senate in Washington, along with uh, Biden and Kamala's vote, and um, yet we can't get the George Floyd Act passed. And I, that's insanity. That's crazy. How, how, how you're in charge and you're not doing anything on criminal justice reform is beyond me. Biden's responsible for the omnibus crime bill. The Clintons are responsible for the AEDPA and the PLRA. Those things have crushed poor people. They have crushed minorities. They have made prison far more oppressive. And they've made it very difficult to fight back. And why he's not doing that right now, even if it's by executive order, or why he's not rushing to Congress and undoing some of this damage, as I say, is beyond me. But we have a governor and attorney general who's promised to fix these things. November is coming. So everybody, you know, watch this case because this show is not about me. It's not about me, but it is the worst wrongful conviction case you're going to find, which is why I've had so many programs and movies and now book deals and everything else. It is the worst case you're going to find. And if you're not going to fix the worst, most obvious case, what are you going to do? Right. And that's what everybody has been saying. You know, this is the worst case, so why aren't you fixing that? There's no question about my innocence. Nobody's denying that. The county won't even talk about it. So we trusted you to fix these things. Please fix these things. Get another four years, and I'll be the first out there fighting for you and standing by you and helping you fix these things. And that's what I hope I can do, get out here and help and make sure that things like what happened to Jonathan don't happen anymore. Uh, I've offered my services to the governor and the attorney general in any capacity they might require when I'm out. I will go into prisons. I will look at these cases. I will help the Conviction Integrity Unit. I'll help you with whatever you want to make stuff better. This is my life now. This is who I am now. I'm willing to help you. Let me come help you do this. Please do the right thing. And and also, we have to get justice for Jonathan, and we have to make sure there are no more Jonathans and Daniels, too. Yep. So I hope you'll join us in this fight. Justice for Johnny, guys. Let's do it. Let's get a let's get a million signatures. Let's get a million calls. Let's flood the. I mean, Absolutely. this is this is what, again, this is what I tell the community. Like, this is where our part comes in. There's not. How come there's not 50 million people up in Flint arguing about why hasn't the water been fixed? We have right. to stand up when we know that something has happened to one of our American citizens. Whether you agree with the person's acts or not, the fact is that this is an American citizen and he was murdered. Right. And there's no right. accountability for it, and yeah. it's 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 time for us to just start stepping up and protecting each other. So yeah. and people remember something too. Now he remember he paid his debt. He was on his way home. He was on okay? his way home. This is not some guy. Yeah, this wasn't some guy who was in here screwed up and he owed 20 more years to the state or anything. Not that that would justify what happened to him. But this is a man who's on his way home. He he paid his debt to society. This is what they say we call a short timer. So this man was murdered getting ready to head out the door he wasn't murdered in the middle of a hundred year prison bit that he had no hope from and he was going to die in here anyways so i want you all to think about that whatever you think of criminals if you're willing to forgive a person who's done their time and paid their debt jonathan had paid his debt and he was still murdered so that's an absolutely important issue and i, I hope you will, none of you will forget that when you think about this case 
Well, ladies, gentlemen, it's been another great conversation. Thank you again for your time, Tamujin. Thank you for your time, Ms. Danielle. Again, I'm I'm sorry that this has happened to you, and 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 we're here for you, and and we're family. This is this this is what makes Absolutely. us family. So. Yeah, I'm sorry you came to our family this way, Danielle, but no we're doubt. here for you now, and we'll stay there with you. Okay, I promise you that. We appreciate that. Thank you so much. There's no loyalty. Right. There's no loyalty like a true convict. I'll tell you that. Justice for Johnny. Justice for Johnny. All right, everybody, stay safe. All right, bye-bye.